The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The mythology of the cryptozoological creature known as Mothman begins on November 12th, 1966. On that day, five men were digging a grave at a cemetery in Clendenin, West Virginia, and one of them claimed to witness a man-like creature fly over their heads. A creature... He and other witnesses in the coming days would describe as a terrifying, large, man-like, gray monster with glowing red eyes and a roughly 10-foot wingspan that could fly at speeds anywhere from impossibly slow to 100 miles an hour. The Mothman creature would be described by some as not having a head at all. Two huge, ominous red eyes set inside his chest, eyes consistently reported to be glowing or at least reflective. The details of his face, if he even has a face if he even is a he, and his feet have never been adequately described. One witness uh, who did claim to see his face said said they saw his face clearly, could only say that the details were horrible and monstrous. She had terrible nightmares, suffered a nervous breakdown. Most who report getting a close look at the Mothman seem to suffer from extreme fear and psychological distress, sometimes lasting for months or years afterwards. In particular, people say that a sense of pure evil overcomes them, when they look into Mothman's eyes. The legend of Mothman, and most deciding strangely, centered around the collapse of a bridge. On December 15, 1967, the Silver Bridge that rose above the Ohio River that connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Galapolis, Ohio, collapsed and took the lives of 46 people. And ever since, stories have abounded connecting this collapse to Mothman. Was this creature trying to warn locals that something bad was going to happen? Did it know the bridge would collapse? Is Mothman, head or no head, some harbinger of impending doom? With some bizarre creature trying to save the lives of those who died on December 15th, this is what some still believe. Or is is this all just a bunch of crazy, wackadoodle horseshit? Is the legend nothing more than the collective product of overactive imaginations and a few creative writers trying to exploit those imaginations? Always have to entertain that possibility when it comes to the paranormal. 
The story of Mothman would never have become part of a of American cryptozoological folklore if it weren't for the 1970 book, The Silver Bridge, written by noted ufologist Gray Baker. Gray Barker. And then there was the Mothman Prophecies, another important piece of the Mothman canon written by another ufologist and journalist, John Keel, in 1975. We're going to look at the story of Mothman from all sides today. From absolute believers to get the hell out of here, uh, there's no way that happened, deniers. Uh, today, we're going to dig into the tale of a creature that inspired the 2002 Richard Gere and Laura Linney thriller. Love me some Laura Linney. Uh, the Mothman Prophecies, a movie based on the 1975 book of the same name. It's also a movie that scared the shit out of my wife, Lindsay, and when she, uh, when she first saw it. And a movie, Chicago uh, reader critic Lisa Alspector called the scariest movie I've ever seen. Will today's tale scare you? Does the Mothman give you the heebie-jeebies? Or will this all just be a big uh, wackadoodle gasser of a tale? Find out today as we dive into the strange and hard to explain today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail you. Hail the mighty Time Sucker. Trailblazer on various paths of curiosity. Hail the cult of the curious. Hail Nimrod and Lucifina as well. Praise Triple M, Sweet Bojangles. Such a good boy. Such a good boy. Uh, Time Suck is brought to you again today by Broham, the Broham Podcast. I know how to say it now. Broham is a show about how it's okay to be a dude, but but all dudes should be better dudes. Each week on Broham, Joe and Ben pick a topic they think dudes could use a little help with. And based on what I've heard so far, uh, I think this info is fantastic for ladies as well. It's fantastic for everyone. This week on Broham, the guys discuss ways to enjoy art without uh, uh, being like a wine-swirling jerk. Right? What are the benefits of changing up your routine, seeing something new? Would you feel better if you had a different, possibly more artistic, creative outlet? This week, Ben and Joe chat with Portland artists Bryce Wong and Alex Moan about ways to dip your toes into the art world. Tune in each week for new topics, new discussions, new ways to continue seeking enlightenment through deadlifts. Brome it up. Brome it up, everybody. Uh, www.broaum.com for more info. You can just listen to it where you listen to podcasts. Link in the episode description, or you can just push the button in the sponsor section of the Time Suck app or the Time Suck website. I uh, love these guys, man. Good dudes. Good dudes. Thanks to everyone who came out to, uh, to Providence, Bridgeport, Albany, New Brunswick. Whether the crowd was small or the room was sold out, the energy was fantastic every single show. Uh, worked out a lot of new material. Having uh, awesome, enthusiastic crowds when you're, when you're getting new stuff uh, up and running is just uh, the best. Pumped, really, really pumped now for the rest of the stand-up shows this year. I was, I was nervous, nervous to uh, you know, take like a month off and then try and come up with a, a fair amount of new material quick. Now I feel real good. Now I feel like this is going to be the best hour of stand-up uh, I've ever done. Very, very excited. Going to have more fun with the Happy Murder shows this next week in uh, Wisconsin and Madison. Those shows are packing out. Saturday early show may already be sold out. Uh, comedy on state. Are you ready for the Happy Murder Tour? Are you ready for the first live time suck of 2019? Right? The Ant Hill Kids. A Canadian tale of a fire and brimstone maniac co-leader, father and 26 kids, torturing followers in the most ridiculous ways. Uh, getting the rest of his followers kind of help with the torture. Um, before finally meeting his own violent end. So it has a, it has a good ending. So that's nice. Uh, it's a hell of a true crime story. A lot of wackadoodle in this one. Been a while since we sucked into a crazy-ass cult. And this is a crazy-ass cult. 
Uh, bringing the Happy Murder Tour to Philly the following week, and then both the live podcast and stand-up to downtown Salt Lake City soon after, then Zanies in Nashville. Uh, just let's just found out a great Nashville band, by the way, called Republican Hair. Weird name. Not a huge fan of the name. It's a weird name. But really, really like it. Really like it a lot, actually. Uh, check out dancummins.tv in a full, uh, for a full year of fun shows. More Live Sucks coming up in Cleveland in April, Nashville in April, uh, the Comedy Festival, Spokane in San Francisco in May, Orlando in August, Phoenix in September, Tempe, technically, then Denver, Grand Rapids, and Tacoma at the end of the year. And that's going to be it for the Anhill Kids. Hope you space lizards enjoyed the release of the video for the Denver show, the, the Matamoros uh, Narco Satanist Cult, this past week on Patreon. Got to check those Patreon posts and emails from time to time if you missed that. All right, the first generation meat sack sweatshirt for all time suck meat sacks is here. Time sucking meat sacks, pretty sweet, man. It's a thing I'm happy about, something I enjoy. Uh, it's a varsity crew style alternative sweatshirt that says meat sack right on the front so people know you're on team meat sack, aka team all humans who are not assholes, right? We are the meat sacks you see. Fighting stupidity, we still make mistakes, still suffer our heartaches, but we'll try hard until we die. Fight, fight, fight! We are the meat sacks, you see, curious until the end. We will keep learning on, fight ignorant till it's gone, and make life better for one and all. Fight, fight, fight! Now picture that happening in a hotel room, uh, New York City, this, uh, this uh, last week, while <laughs> I was practicing that. Make sure the people in the room next door being, what in the fuck is he talking about? It's an alternative uh, vintage French Terry style sweatshirt. So many words. But all those words mean softness. Comes in either navy or porcelain. That's Lindsay's favorite uh, sweatshirt brand. She, she picked uh, out alternative on this. Meet Zach uniform to face the world in, right? Represent the time suck home team or away team in the, in the, in the world or galaxy. Wherever you're at. It's uh, both are a 50-50 cotton poly blend, also 100-100 imported manatee nutsack domestic mongoose vagina blend. Uh, why why those fabrics? <laughs> because those were the only illegal animal parts available from our illegal animal part sales contact. Also, might want to size up if you'd like your sweatshirt to fit a bit, bit looser. Alternative, more of an athletic fit, not a lot of gif. Finally, they, uh, they only run to up to 2X alternative, so Gildan will be used for 3X to 5X. Stay cozy and hail Nimrod. Stay warm. Uh, yeah, a lot of you, man, stay warm this week. Man, some fucking horrific weather coming to the upper Midwest. My God. Uh, also, congratulations to the winner of our first Time Suck Street Team Sticker Challenge. I know it's probably the first time I've talked about it on uh, Time Suck. Uh, so it came through the Cult of the Curious on the Facebook page. Round one of the Time Suck Street Team has come to a close. We had a blast. We're already preparing for round two. More details on that in the coming weeks. As for round one, Time Suck stickers have been slapped and tagged in 30 different states. Uh, plus Germany, the UK, spreading that suck far and wide, hopefully convincing more and more people to join the Cult of Curious. Uh, we saw stickers on streetlights, cars, DVD rentals, shopping carts, phone booths, billboards, bathrooms, tables, chairs, windows, gas pumps, trash cans, soda machines, ATMs, uh, mirrors, so many other places. They were everywhere. Uh, it was amazing to see it unfold over the last few months. Uh, from all of the stickers stuck and tagged on social media using the hashtag spread the suck, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, brainchild of this project, randomly went through and picked one winner. Uh, Paisley literally brought them all up on a screen, pointed blindly his, uh, with his finger just to select somebody. And the winner of over $100 in Time Suck merch, some signed stuff, is Rachel Lafreniere. Had, couldn't, couldn't have been Rachel Smith. Had it been Rachel, fucking French name, I'm guessing. 
Rachel, uh, I met Rachel. Yeah, I believe, but I know I've, I've heard it before. I've heard you say it, Rachel, but Rachel Lafreniere, I know that has to be close. Congratulations, Rachel. Uh, we'll send you some cool swag uh, soon. Uh, round two details again. Announced sometime in the near future. Finally, and we're almost to the episode, I promise. This is a quick one. Spotify, if you haven't heard my, this is just something free and fun. Finally, Spotify, if you haven't heard my stand-up before and you're, and you're curious, start off with my hand-picked favorites from the last six albums in a Spotify playlist. It's free. Link is in the episode description. Uh, sorry I didn't get that link up when I announced this episode a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna color it red right now in my notes. So it's a big reminder, like, to put that in there. Now let's get weird. Let's get real weird, like West Virginia bird dude weird. Time for some Mothman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bird folk. Moth folk. I still have my own fight song stuck in my head. It's not going to go away. Maybe never. If you really want to dig into the tale of Mothman, like really immerse yourself. You need to get your ass to West Virginia. Hog folk! Hog folk, moth folk! Hog moth folk! Specifically, you got to get to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That's the real birthplace of the legend. I know Clendenin was, we're going to talk about that uh, quote unquote first sighting in a bit. I have a lot of, I have a lot of problems with that one. Uh, but, but Point Pleasant, that's where, the, that's where the real stuff started happening. Well, I say real. That's where a lot of stuff that's harder to dismiss started happening. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the beating heart of Mothman lore to this day. Point Pleasant's quiet little town, just over 4,000 people on the banks of the Ohio River, uh, about 100 miles from and less than a two-hour drive southeast of Columbus, Ohio. It's 42 miles northeast of uh, Huntington, West Virginia, one of my favorite little cities in America, by the way. Used to love visiting Huntington uh, back when I had a Funny Bone comedy club there years ago in Pullman Square. Wrote a few jokes in that Starbucks. Got real drunk in that little town several times. Point Pleasant has a quaint little business district. Downtown, it's on the National Historic Register of Places. Or National Register of Historic Places. One of the, it's on both of those fucking lists. It, it sits just across the river from Galapolis, Ohio. A new bridge connecting the two towns. The Silver Memorial Bridge was completed in 1969, two years after the original Silver Bridge collapsed. Uh, Galapolis is a little town of about 3,600 people. Actually, actually, it's technically a village now due to Ohio law requiring a town to have at least 5,000 people. So sorry, Galapolis. I, I, I hope, I sincerely hope a new terrifying monster attacks your, your village soon so that the buzz surrounding it uh, gets some much needed tourism, you know, money and exposure flowing your way, maybe kicks you back up to town status. I hope Mothman comes back. Hope he focuses his energy on the other side of the river this time. The area around these two towns does have some interesting history outside of Mothman. America's first president, Ben Franklin, visited the area in 1770, said it was pretty, said there were lots of varmints and critters, said the river smelled, quote, decent. He was so inspired, he invented laundry detergent and the pencil eraser, opened up America's first taxidermy shop to showcase the area's vast abundance of world-class jackalopes. That's not the right notes. Those are some notes I wrote after I fell out of the back of a truck and had a head injury. Ben Franklin did not visit the area and, of course, is not our, our first president or any president of America that I know of. George Washington visited the area 1770. That's true. That's right. The cherry tree fella. Uh, the Battle of Point Pleasant was fought a few years later in 1774 between over 1,000 Virginia militiamen led by Colonel Andrew Lewis and the Algonquin Confederation of about 1,000 Shawnee and Mingo warriors led by Chief Cornstock. That wasn't his given name. He wasn't born Cornstock. That's like the rough English translation of his name. Uh, the Virginians had about 75 men killed, another 140 wounded in the battle. Shawnees and Mingo's losses could not be determined since they carried away their wounded, threw many of their dead into the river. 
Shawnees quietly withdrew back across the Ohio River at night after a day of fighting, and the Virginians held their ground and are thus considered to have won the battle. The event is celebrated locally as the first battle of the Revolutionary War, even though most historians regard the battle as part of Lord Dunmore's War, conflict between the colony of Virginia and various tribes of American Indians. Camp Point Pleasant was established because of this battle, and a settlement of the same name soon followed. A few years later, during the fall of 1777, Chief Cornstock made a diplomatic visit to Fort Randolph, the new American fort built in present-day Point Pleasant, seeking to maintain his people's neutrality with the early Americans. And the meeting uh, did not go well, at least not for Chief Cornstock. It went very poorly for him. It did feed into part of the Mothman lore. Uh, Chief Cornstock was immediately detained by the fort commander, who decided on his own initiative to take hostage any Shawnees who fell into his hands. Then on November 10th, an American militiaman from the fort was killed nearby by unknown Indians, and the commander allowed his angry soldiers to brutally execute Cornstock, Cornstock's son, and two other Shawnees in retribution. And some believe Cornstock's murder placed a curse upon the land. According to Virginia's first official historian, Virgil A. Lewis, that's a historian name, Virgil, Virgil Lewis. You don't become a diesel mechanic if your name is Virgil Lewis. Uh, he said, Point Pleasant did not flourish for many years after the turn of the century. There was no church for more than 50 years and society was at a low ebb. There was a popular superstition that because of the fiendish murder of Cornstock there in 1777, the place was laid under a curse for a hundred years. Did this curse lead to the birth of the creature of Mothman? Is Mothman a physical manifestation of this curse? Did the curse last longer than a hundred years? Do any of you know how to, how to place curses? Can I perform curses? Can you teach me? There are some people uh, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, putting a little Mothman curse on. In the late 18th, early 19th century, settlers uh, slowly trickled into Point, Pe Point Pleasant, including humorists uh, Mark Twain's grandparents. Well, Mark Twain's grandparents uh, headed out there. It would take until 1910 for the population to surpass 2,000 people, so it was, it was a slow trickle. Uh, reached a high of about 6,000 people in 1970. Neighboring Galapolis got a little bigger, made it up to uh, almost 9,000 people in 1960. Weren't no villages then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The proper city. Uh, Galapolis, Ohio was initially settled by a group of French known as the French 500 locally who were fleeing the French Revolution. They made it to the area in October 1790. The town's name is French, and it means the cursed sister city of winged demon monsters. Not sure if that ties into the legend or not. Uh, no, it means the city of the Gauls. Other than that, uh, that big 1774 battle and, uh, and Galapolis being the home of Bob Evans. Do you know about Bob Evans? Bob Evans, founder of the chain of Bob Evans restaurants that are my favorite chain of cheap and easy breakfast and lunch spots. Right, your damn skippy, I'll have a side of warm banana bread. Thank you, Bob Evans person. Uh, seriously, Bob Evans is legit. But other than that, the area is really not known for much other than Mothman. Mothman is far and away Point Pleasant area's uh, biggest claim to fame. There's a statue of Mothman in the heart of town. He's fucking ripped, too. He's jacked. He's got an APAC. Uh, there's a Mothman Museum every third weekend in September. There's the Mothman Festival, which has been packing, or kind of packing, the town every year since it started in 2002. Uh, this year, the event takes place on September 21st, 22nd. So get, get your tickets now, Mothman's. Oh, man, it's going to be crazy. Big, big Mothman festival, Mothman cosplay, live music, uh, probably songs referencing Mothman, food vendors, and uh, classic rock, uh, even tasty Mothman pancakes. There's, that seriously is an option. What are Mothman pancakes, you wonder? Well, they're normal pancakes, shaped kind of Mothman-like by a guy in a food truck. 
Uh, so don't, don't want to miss that. Uh, there's hayrides at the Mothman Festival. I don't know how that ties into Mothman. Maybe just trying to make a little hayride money off some families coming in. Uh, there's guest Mothman expert speakers, shuttle tours of the nearby creepy TNT storage bunkers. Talking about that here in a bit. Much more. Right. Hey, what are those uh, TNT storage bunkers? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's some some think they they led his creation, and they will come up quite a bit here in this uh, in this tale. Uh, the nearby bunkers are part of what was once called the West Virginia Ordnance Works military facility that manufactured and stored TNT, uh, which is an explosive chemical compound used a lot during uh, World War II. At the height of its production, the facility outside Point Pleasant, West Virginia, produced five hundred thousand pounds of TNT each day. Most of the site was closed in 1945. What wasn't uh, eventually was eventually made into a regional airport. The, the area, not the not the TN, <laughs> not the actual TNT bunkers. They they weren't. They just ah, let's fucking let's put a let's put a Starbucks in there and have it have it be an airport and just, just yeah, push the chemicals in the back, and just make it into a Starbucks. No, uh, uh, the area where the TNT was stored is made into a little regional uh, airport. Became a recreational space, and uh, much of the land is still very contaminated by the TNT and its chemical precursor DNT. It's a super fun site. It's been on the national priorities list since 1983. Uh, surprisingly, actually fixing up this site doesn't seem to be uh, on that uh, list of priorities. The priority doesn't seem to be uh, getting rid of the hazardous material. Just monitoring and containment seems to be the strategy. Did this hazardous material stored out in the woods create some kind of toxic avenger? Some sort of mutant? Later given the name of Mothman? Some kind of some kind of comic book superhero. He was really bad at explaining to people that the reason he's showing up is to keep him from getting on that bridge uh, a year later. That actually is another one of uh, Mothman's theories. Beyond the explosion in 2010 uh, of a storage igloo that contained 20,000 pounds of unstable materials, the bunkers have been pretty quiet. So other than one explosion, pretty quiet. Uh, the Mothman Museum looks pretty sweet. Can't forget about that. It's voted number one destination on TripAdvisor.com for things to do in Point Pleasant. So get there if you get out there. Number one. And the competition for the top spot, it was intense. Boy, howdy. Uh, Mothman Museum narrowly beat out a nearby state park, the Point Pleasant River Museum. That's exciting. A whole museum dedicated to the river there. And a West Virginia State Farm Museum. What? Farm Museum and River Museum. Oh, my God. And even better, the best museum I've maybe ever heard of, the U.S. Navy Poster Museum. That's a very specific museum. How many U.S. Navy poster enthusiasts can be out there? How many of them are heading to Point Pleasant? All 19? <laughs> Welcome to the U.S. Navy Poster Museum. Uh, man, we, we really hope you like posters. <laughs> that's, that's all we have. And, uh, and we really hope you like posters specifically about the U.S. Navy because— that's quite literally the only kind of poster we have here. Thank, thank God we don't need to make money because this is this is a tax write-off. Hey, come take a tour. Uh, tours run uh, on the hour, uh, every hour, and generally take from two to five minutes. We don't have that many posters. Uh, check check out our U.S. Navy posters. Uh, take a look at our older U.S. Navy posters. Uh, when you're done with that, you can take a gander at even older U.S. Navy posters. And, of course, uh, don't miss out on the oldest U.S. Navy posters uh, we have. We have a lot of different ages. Of of navy posters, <laughs> we have, uh, what was that? Do we, do we have do we have British uh, navy posters? Uh, German navy posters? You ask. <laughs> perhaps some perhaps some Canadian navy posters. Are you fucking kidding me? I told you it's a U.S. Navy poster museum. I'm sick of being asked that. Get out of here. That's I don't know if that's how they present their information there. In my head, that's exactly how it goes down. Uh, so now you have a feel for the area. 
couple sleepy little blue-collar towns on the river, uh, rural West Virginia, a bit of rural Ohio, little slices of Americana. So now let's jump into the origins of the Mothman legend in today's Time Suck timeline right after a quick word uh, from another sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by Woody's Spirit Supplies and more Spectral Emporium. Hey, guys. It's me, Woody. I'm not going to lie to you. Sales of my paranormal rape repellent have been real slow. I lost my ass on those things. How's that for irony? Turns out there's not much of a market for demons trying to rape people. I should have done probably a focus group or something. Hey, anyway, I have a new product now. I've rebranded as Woody's Spirit Supplies and More Spectrum Emporium. Yay! And today we have a gosh darn heck of a steal of a deal on Woody's Mothman Monster Magnets. <laughs> what, what's a Mothman Monster Magnet? It's a big magnet that sucks any and, and all Mothman so you can <laughs> you can fight them or <laughs> when they're stuck in a, in a man. Oh, guess that's it. Charles, get this, because I want to get Charles in here. Really, Charles? This is a bullshit you have me pitch? Why not Mothman Voodoo Dolls? That would at least look cool, even if they don't work. Take Mr. Charles Gutman. You put him... You put him in the naughty boy cage. Take his clothes off. Grab my leather whip. You grab it. You put some rusty nails in the end of it. Charlie, Charlie, if you won't whip yourself, if you won't whip yourself, I'll draw blood. I'll chew a hole through your windpipe. I'll reach. I'll put out your still beating heart. I'm sick of drowning in shame paranormal products. Are oh, you still recording? Oh, okay. I'm going to lost Sierra now. Wee! Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Hey, sorry about that sponsor, you guys. Woody's Woody's been under a lot of pressure. Sales have been a little slow, and he's uh, he seems very stressed out uh, from what I've just noticed around the office. He's, he's having a rough go. I hear he's drinking again, and it sounds like his human ventriloquist partner, Charles Gutman, ugh, really having a rough go of things. So, so sorry to hear that he got put back in the cage. If you're a new listener, Woody has nothing to do with today's Mothman tale. Uh, let's, let's refocus. Okay. <laughs> the first recorded... Mothman sighting took place on November 12th, 1966, near Clendenin, West Virginia, which is actually a 76-mile drive southeast of Point Pleasant. Clendenin's pretty dead now. Uh, about 1,000 people still live there. It used to be booming oil town. The first petrochemical plant in the world was built in Clendenin in 1920. Five men, Kenneth Duncan, Bob Lovejoy, Bill Poole, excuse me, Andrew Godby, and Emil Gibson were digging a grave for Ken's father-in-law, Homer Smith, in a cemetery near Clendenin in 1966. And this is uh, where Kenneth claimed to see a man-like figure that flew out from some nearby trees, glided low over their heads. Now, the other men Ken were working with that day uh, did not see the creature before it flew away. Before it flew away. How, how did that happen? But Ken said that the brown creature lifted off beyond the trees and was no bird. It was humanoid. He said it was gliding through the trees and was in sight for about a minute. He was baffled. Didn't look like any kind of bird. Seemed to be a man with wings. Now, this is said to be one of the first sightings of, of Mothman. It's the, it's the first kind of sighting that got a little bit of buzz, came out in the press a little while later. We'll talk about that. Uh, Ken only initially discussed the sighting with a few friends and, you know, would have been forgotten if others didn't start to, you know, claim to see this winged man around the same time. 
Now, does anyone else think is, is pretty weird that this thing was in the air for a full minute? The big ass flying man, Bert. And old Kenny doesn't think to point out that there's a fucking monster above, above their heads to his fellow grave diggers. He has a minute to say something like, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, other four guys uh, stand here with me. Uh, uh, hey, mom, what, you want to get a load of that? Look up there. Maybe look up for a second. Maybe check out that, that bird dude flying overhead. <laughs> hey, guys. Listen, I know you're real busy right now uh, digging a West Virginia grave, and I, I'm not looking. I don't want to interrupt the undoubtedly incredibly interesting discussion you're currently having right now. Uh, maybe about how you're sick of your wife Linda making tin roll casseroles all the time. Uh, how about uh, maybe you're uh, real into Susie Lee's ass, looking real, real nice and fine in those tight blue jeans at the corner tavern uh, the other night. Or, or maybe perhaps about how Coach would have just let you play a little more senior year. Uh, you'd have gotten a full ride and been a mountaineer at the U. But hey, hold on for a second. There's a large red-eyed monster I would like you to maybe take a peek at. It's flying above us right now. You just don't mind. If you wouldn't mind setting your shovel down for 10 seconds, something cooler than anything you or anyone in your family tree will ever see in their entire lives is about 20 yards away now. How did that never happen? Ken Siding is referenced in the November 18, 1966 edition of the Galapagos Daily Tribune. Says it right in the paper, four other men helping to dig the grave didn't see it. I don't know, Ken. I don't know about you. Also, how the hell did that town have a daily paper? Uh, while that is the first reported sighting of Mothman, uh, again, one of kind of note, you know, there's if you look in like dark corners of the web, you can find all kinds of supposed bullshit. Um, but this actually made the papers. Uh, the Mothman tale doesn't really get moving, though, until a few days later in Point Pleasant, which is why they have all the cool museums, right, Clendenin? Old Kenny fucking blew it for you. If you would have just said something, you could have had an annual Mothman fest. You could have been eating those tasty-ass pancakes. Well, now what do you got? You got nothing. You got a ghost town since Interstate 79 bypassed you in the, in the 80s. Why did the interstate bypass you? Because Kenny, dumb shit, Duncan, fucked up everything. Couldn't point out a large flying monster. Now he ruined an entire town. Sorry. This upsets me. Three days later, after Kenneth D Duncan doomed his town to failure, by being the worst person who ever lived. On November 15th, 1966, I hope you know I'm intentionally being over the top about Ken, by the way. Uh, there was a Mothman sighting in Point Pleasant that kicked off the heart of the legend. Roger and Linda Scarberry were driving a Roger's Black 57 Chevy Bel Air with Steve and Mary Mallet through the area around midnight when Linda noticed two large glowing red eyes in the darkness be uh, behind, uh, or besides, excuse me, the old North Power Plant. And unlike Kenny Tightlips, unlike... Kenny, 1966 West Virginia State secret champion, right? She uh, she screams and alerts the other people in the car to the presence of a goddamn monster uh, like a, like a red-blooded, terrified American is supposed to do. The four young locals, all around the age of 20, uh, soon learn that these eyes belong to something that looked both very human and very inhuman, a biped monster about seven feet tall with wings folded against his back. Roger stalled in the road for a minute, inspecting the strange creature, making sure it wasn't some sort of bird. Four quickly realized this, this, this weren't no ordinary animal. They watched the creature spread its wings and head right for him, and that's when they put the pedal to the metal. That old Bel Air raced down Highway 62 to Point Pleasant, right, exceeding a speed of 100 miles an hour, the monster at one point easily keeping up with them. The four arrived in town, startled and confused, and then uh, they noticed that the monsters, you know, seemed to have stopped following them. Roger parked his car at the edge of town. They discussed the encounter, eventually convincing themselves that, you know, it, it had to be a bird. It had to be a giant, strange bird. So in an attempt to face their fears, 
right? Feel better about the whole encounter. They drove back out of town. You know, they wanted to verify that it's just a bird headed back towards that TNT area. Wasn't long before they did see the creature again, apparently waiting for them beside Route 62. Right, the couples were now sure that this thing were no bird. The instant that the uh, car's headlights landed on the creature, it lifted vertically in the air with tremendous speed and disappeared above the tree line. The race back into town again went directly to the Mason County Courthouse, told their story to Sheriff George Johnson and Deputy Miller Halstead. Uh, two hours later, city police began investigating the area. They, they really did head out there and investigate. This is all talked about in the papers, only to return empty-handed. The next day, a press conference was held, and the local press began printing the story, causing others to come forward with previous and future sightings. People like Kenneth, why don't you just keep that sighting to yourself now that you've blown it, Duncan? The November 15th Point Pleasant sighting was uh, what got the buzz going about Mothman. And the November 16th issue of the Point Pleasant Register, the strange encounter would be brought to the public eye with the headline, Couple Sees Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Here's that article in its entirety. This is the most important article in all of Mothman lore. It was a bird or something. It definitely wasn't a flying saucer. Two Point Pleasant couples said today they encountered a man-sized, bird-like creature in the TNT area about midnight last night. Sheriff's deputies and city police went to the scene about 2 o'clock this morning, but were unable to spot anything. But the two young men telling their story this morning were dead serious and asserted they hadn't been drinking. Steve Mallett of 3305 Jackson Avenue and Roger Scarberry of 809 30th Street described the thing as being about 6 or 7 feet tall, having a wingspan of 10 feet and red eyes about 2 inches in diameter and 6 inches apart. It was like a man with wings, Mallet said. It wasn't like anything you'd see on TV or a monster movie. The men and their wives were in Scarberry's car between 11.30 p.m. and midnight when they spotted the creature near the old power plant adjacent to the old National Guard armory buildings. The creature was seen standing on three occasions and was described as being extremely fast. It flew about 100 miles an hour in flight but was a clumsy runner. Deputy Miller Halstead uh, said he had seen dust in the vicinity of the coal field, of, of a coal field, but it could have been caused by the bird, he said. I'm a hard guy to scare, Scarberry said, but last night I was for getting out of there. They did just that, but the thing followed them. They said it was hovering over the car, apparently gliding until they reached the National Guard Armory on Route, Route 62. We went downtown, turned around, and went back, and there it was again, Mallet said. It seemed to be waiting on us. He said the light gray creature then scurried through a field. It also had flown across the top of the car. It apparently is afraid of light, Mallet reasoned, and maybe it thought it was scaring us off. The young men said they saw the creature's eyes, which glowed red, only when their lights shined on it, and it seemed to want to get away from the lights. They said it looked like a man with wings, but its head was not an outstanding characteristic. Both were slightly pale and tired from lack of sleep during the night following their harrowing experience. They speculated that the thing was living in the vacant power plant, possibly in one of the huge boilers. There are pigeons in all the other buildings, Mallet said, but not in that one. What? I'm going to stop this article for a second. How would he know that detail? How does he know where all the, the local birds live? Some weird local bird experts? Right, listen, there are pigeons in every other building. Uh, not that one. I don't know for sure. Once a week, for my own peace of mind, I like to do a quick little bird check of all abandoned TNT buildings in this here area. I, I use like a I use a whistling technique. Well, I walk around the old armory, armory, and I'm like, I just walk around. And I'm like, 
And when, and when I hear something come back at me, when I hear like a, <laughs> that's when I know, okay, we got a blue jay over there. We got a pigeon over here. We got we got a little, uh, this kind of, some kind of, uh, uh, hmm, maybe like a robin or uh, maybe, uh, listen, I don't know all the bird names, okay? I just know the sounds of birds and I know what buildings they are in. Are are there birds in a huge ass border building? Nope, not a peep. Go ahead, go over there, go over there and be like, ha ha, ha ha. Nothing, nothing coming back. Anyway, Scarberry is then quoting the article saying, "If I had seen it while by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it. They said it didn't resemble a bat in any way, but maybe what you would visualize as an angel. <laughs> That's a weird, weird uh, description. I was terrified. It was monstrous. I was scared for my life. It looked, it looked like an angel." Uh, the last time they saw it was at the gate of the C.C. Lewis farm on Route 62. They heard a sound like wings flapping, and they said the bird rose straight up like a helicopter. Okay, it's got helicopter wings now. Uh, this doesn't have an explanation to it, Mallet said. It was an animal, but nothing like I've seen before. Are they going back to look for the creature? Yes, Mallet said. This afternoon and again tonight. Today, Scarberry said. But tonight, I don't know. So that's what they said. That's what they were quoting the paper saying. On November 16, 1966, the day the article I just read came out, one of the Mothman witnesses, Linda Scarberry, was rushed to the hospital by her father after she experienced a nervous breakdown. Uh, the evening of the 16th, Mothman strikes again. Marcella Bennett, her, her brother Raymond Wamsley, and his wife Kathy were bringing Marcella's two-year-old daughter Tina to visit relatives who live near the TNT area of Point Pleasant. Marcella and her brother had just read about the strange being in the newspaper, they even thought it might be fun to go out and look for it, you know, one day, but they never expected to see it that night. The house they were visiting was a little bungalow back among the igloos of the TNT, those storage igloos of the TNT area. It belonged to Ralph Thomas, who was a superintendent of some work being done out there. Ralph's wife, Virginia Thomas, was Marcella Bennett's sister. And when Marcella, Raymond, and Kathy arrived, they discovered that Ralph and Virginia had both left to go to church. The only ones home were the three Thomas children, Ricky, Connie, and Vicky. Uh, after exchanging a few words with the children, Bennett and the Wamsleys headed back to their car. It's about 9 p.m. And that's when they say they saw it. They claimed to have spotted some strange lights in the sky hovering above the trees. They made it outside. Or, they, or they, sorry, they saw this when they made it outside. So they walk outside the house. They see the strange lights in the sky. Raymond stops when he gets to the bottom of the steps, tries to get Marcella's attention. Uh, she told him that she didn't want to see any lights. He said, no, you've got to look at this. This isn't a plane. She ignored him and began walking uh, to the car, carrying her daughter. Is is Marcella relate, related to Kenny, Dum Dum Duncan? But your husband is telling you that there's strange lights in the sky. And you're like, nah, I don't, I don't want to. I don't like to turn my head up. Nope, not for one second. Look up for one second. No, I don't. I don't. I don't like to look up ever. Um, what's going on with people in West Virginia around this time when it comes to looking up in the air? Suddenly, a figure stirred in the darkness behind the parked car. Now, Marcella sees the creature out of the corner of her eyes. She's unlocking the car door. She first sees a man's legs that looked like they were covered in gray feathers. She didn't see any feet. Like a slow motion scene in a horror film, she pulled her eyes up. The wings were drawn in towards his body. The head was tilted sideways. She said it looked like a bird, but was too big to be a bird. Standing only a few feet from her was a giant man bird, its head sunken into the shoulder area. She saw no red eyes, but later said she might have been too frightened to notice. Marcella described the creature as over six foot tall with feathers it just looked like a giant bird, but yet a man. And it was standing with its shoulders arched and its neck down. She was terrified, but not able to run. I just stood there and looked at it, but I couldn't figure out what I was seeing, said Marcella. Her brother saw it, but it would not come towards where it was. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, you're on, you're on your own, sis. 
Uh, Raymond and his wife were both very frightened. He kept yelling for Marcella to run, but she was paralyzed by fear. When Marcella finally managed to turn around, she took maybe four steps towards the house before falling to the ground in a state of shock, landing on top of her daughter, unable to get up as, as if in a trance. She said, I just couldn't do what my mind was wanting me to do. And she heard the flapping of wings as she was trying to run. Can you imagine how scary this would be if it really happened? Like you head to some relative's house to visit. They're not home, so you head back to the car. Right Then some literal flying bug man monster <laughs> lands next to you. I have no idea how I would react if something like that happened to me. I'd like to think I would grab my kids, you know, throw them on my shoulders and run. But who knows? Maybe I'd be too paralyzed with fear. Maybe I'd freeze. Maybe my brain would just be stuck, you know, as I was trying to process what's supposed to not be possible, but what clearly is possible because it's standing somehow in front of me. After pulling herself together, Marcella picked up her child, ran to the house. The Wamsleys were waiting on the steps. Raymond heard the creature once again flap its wings as Marcella reached them. The family locked themselves inside the house to protect themselves. Marcella's hands and knees were badly skinned up, scraped, bruised, and bleeding from the fall. She had even been burned from falling on top of a lit cigarette. The side of her face was also bleeding from where she had fallen. (laughs) Jesus, that is some fall. Bleeding from her face, hands, and knees, and burned. Man, if if Raymond had had a history of domestic violence which he doesn't have that I can find. I would say that this is the weirdest uh, version of a look how, look how who got clumsy and fell on the stairs again. This would be like the worst version of that kind of domestic violence tale that I've ever heard. Just some wife beating, you know, just grease. You're like, I, I didn't hit her off, sir. I never laid a hand on her. I don't care what a crazy mom says. How, oh, how'd she get all those bruises? How'd she, ble- how'd she get the cigarette burns? How, how's I so watch you ask that goddamn mothman creature? Terrorizing my wife. Winged son of a bitch came over here and scared her, knocked her down, burnt, put a cigarette burn on her. I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing. You heard, you, you want you want some answers? You go you go find that critter. I'm arrested. No, okay. I didn't I didn't say shit. I I should have worked harder on that story. I apologize. Yeah, I apologize for for being abusive, and I apologize for not coming up with a better cover. Uh, the children inside were all screaming and crying in panic while this is going on. Raymond Wamsley frantically phones the police. By this time, Marcella was lying on the sofa could hear uh, um, Raymond telling the sheriff's department to get to the TNT area because they had seen this creature. He told uh, he told him that they were locked in the uh, house and it was still outside. While Raymond's talking to the police, the Mothman creature is apparently shuffling around on the porch, pushes on the door, peers into the windows. Uh, it took the police about 15, 20 minutes to arrive at the house, but the creature was gone by the time they got there. How great would it be if this was a prank? Like, if you, if you were able to put a costume together that quickly. Like, you heard about, you read the paper this morning, you're like, oh, shit. We're going to make some people scared tonight. <laughs> and you just get some big-ass feathered costume and start running around people's houses. Mouth mine going to get you. <laughs> I'm going to get you. Uh, the police, uh, they searched all around the house but found nothing but a bunch of rubberneckers. The front yard quickly filled up with curious people and cars from everywhere. Pretty soon it looked like a drive-in theater. Raymond talked to the police, filled out some paperwork and the police reports. Marcella Bennett has since described this night as the most frightening experience of her life, something she felt uncomfortable talking about. She was traumatized, couldn't sleep afterwards. She would say, I would think I could hear the wings flapping and noise on top of the roof. I kept feeling that this thing had followed us home. Somehow she felt the creature now had a link to her and would come back. She never drove at night after this experience. I couldn't sleep and I was hearing things and thought that that it was right outside and still after me. I couldn't imagine what this thing was or where it came from and, and what its purpose was. It was close enough to harm me, but it didn't. She even sought medical attention at Holzer Hospital to deal with anxiety and sleeplessness, uh, sleeplessness, sleepness, Sleepless, Jesus Christ, sleeplessness after this incident. She would later feel the Mothman's presence at times send her into a panic, 
For example, she would feel as if uh, it was in the backseat of her car, and she'd hit the brakes, turn around, look behind her just to see an empty seat. Uh, Marcella's sighting and subsequent, you know, terror over the incident was captured in detail in author John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies. The next day, so, you know, okay, so, you know, I, I can joke around about this stuff, but, you know, these people seem uh, very into what they think they saw. The next day, the local press was abuzz with tales of Mothman. Here's a little excerpt from the November 17th, 1966 edition of the Point Pleasant Register. Ever since two young couples sighted a man-sized creature in the McClinic Wildlife Area Tuesday night, Ridicule after pun after cute remark has been quoted about Mason County's monster or bird. Nevertheless, it was seen again last night by several of the hundred of curious citizens scouting the massive area. And the same description was given, gray in color, 10-foot wingspan, 6 feet tall, and huge red eyes. The latest to see the thing were Raymond Walmsley, 19, Kathy Walmsley, 18, Marcella Bennett, 21, and Ricky Thomas, 15, according to the Mason County Sheriff's Office. They told Sheriff George Johnson the huge bird was in the yard of Ralph Thomas, whose home was located northeast of the White Church Road in the TNT area. The sighting this time was about 10 p.m. Wednesday. They said the bird-like creature came around the car and stared at them and then soared away. Civil Defense and National Guardsmen were patrolling in the area last night, along with sheriff and deputies. That's pretty crazy. Whether you know whether it happened or not, there's enough there's enough kind of uh, commotion, you know, uh, going on about these sightings that they got the National Guard in there. They got police, you know, deputies, they got sheriffs, you know, combing the area looking for this creature out in the woods. Next day, the 18th, there was another sighting. Captain Paul Yoder, Benjamin Enix, both volunteer firemen from Point Pleasant, revealed that they had seen a very large bird in the TNT area in November on, on uh, November 18th. Uh, it was definitely a bird, they stated flatly, with big red eyes. But it was huge. We'd never seen anything like it. So was an odd giant bird causing all the Mothman commotion, sending folks into hysterics? Maybe. We'll discuss that possibility. Uh, did the bird take a local man's dog? Merle Partridge, also sometimes listed as Newell Partridge from Salem, West Virginia, about 115 miles northeast from Point Pleasant, later reported that his German shepherd chased something with red reflective eyes around this time out into the woods, running after it into the cold November West Virginia night, and it was never seen again. How much would that suck, man? If I ever see a monster alien, please leave the doodles alone. Leave, leave the doodles. Don't take Penny Pooper. Don't take Ginger Bell, Mothman. They've done nothing to deserve this. <sighs> That's not entirely true. So, uh, sometimes one of them does take a shit in the basement. Uh, we, we can't figure out which one's doing it. Sometimes sometimes Ginger does chew on the furniture. But you let us uh, you let us decide how to punish those fluffy little weasels. If you have to take one, I love her, but take Ginger Bell. Take, if, you, if you have to. If one of them has to go, leave Penny Pooper. But please don't do that, Mothman. Um, okay, so during these first few days of sightings that the creature seems to have gotten its Mothman name, a November 17th, 1966 headline from the Herald Dispatch in nearby Huntington seems to be the earliest example of the creature being called Mothman. It read, Bird, Plane, or Batman. Mason Countians hunt Mothman. And it was written by local reporter Pat Seiler. Since none of the actual early witnesses uh, called the creature Mothman, it seems like Pat, she just came up with that herself. Well done. Nice, nice writing, Pat. Mothman sounds way better than like Birdman, which is closer to what the actual uh, creature uh, uh, you know seemed to seem to look like as, as described by witnesses. Nice alliteration, Pat. And and Batman was already taken, so you know you, you would have looked silly if you would have called it just Batman. Uh, next day on the November eighteenth, uh, nineteen sixty six, Huntington uh, the the Huntington Advertiser printed the headline: Could the Mothman be a balloon? Later on November nineteenth, a headline from the Herald Dispatch read: That Mothman, would you believe, a sandhill crane? 
Uh, yeah, some people assume that what they were seeing uh, was a weather balloon, or they assume that other people were seeing this weather balloon, kind of like, like the weather balloon I discussed in the alien extravaganza suck and the Area 51 suck. You know, the Roswell sightings, I do believe, were weather balloon related. Uh, I, I don't think that makes sense with Mothman because no one describes seeing like a, an orb, an orb uh, that would be a great distance away with the sun reflecting off it, you know, that could be mistaken for a, a flying saucer from a great distance, but it couldn't be mistaken up close for a red-eyed winged humanoid. So that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm going to say not weather balloon. November 21st, police in Charleston, West Virginia received an excited phone call from one Richard West, Dick West. Ah, uh, Dick West. That's a that's a strong ass name, Dick West. He'd be like a private detective or something with that name. Uh, that's uh, yeah. That's, that's better than like Dick East. Seems weird to me. Uh, Dick South. Dick South seems sad. Dick South. What's, what's your name? I'm Dick South. Seems it seems like you got a sad wing always pointed down. I'm Dick South. Oh man, but you're Dick Dick West. Ah, oh, it's manly. Anyway. Uh, Dick West, you know, 10, 15 p.m., Monday, November 21st, he talks to patrolman D.L. Tucker. West insisted that a Batman was sitting on a roof next to his house. That's fantastic. And I'm Dick West, and next door is Batman. He said, uh, it looks like a man. It's about six feet tall, has a wing spread of a six or eight feet. It has great big red eyes. Did it fly, Tucker asked? Straight up like a helicopter, West answered. And then he hung up. That's what you do when you're Dick West. Straight up like a helicopter, motherfucker. Click. Don't don't bother me. Don't bother Dick West. I told you what I wanted to tell you. November 25th, 1966, 13 miles east of Salem, Little Clarksburg, West Virginia. The mystery monster spotted again. This time by Tom Urie, assistant manager of the Kinney store, 7.15 a.m., the morning of November 25th. Tom told the sheriff's office that he had an experience with the bird as he traveled north on State Route 62. Right, all around this, this 62. Urie was driving home from Point Pleasant to Salem, little town 13 miles east of Salem, uh, or excuse me, East of Point Pleasant about, uh, oh no, uh, actually it's a town about 130 miles from Point Pleasant. Oh, okay, so that's right, he was visiting relatives. I was like, man, that's a long commute. Uh, no, he was spending Thanksgiving in Point Pleasant with some relatives when he encountered this creature. He says, I know people think you're crazy when you tell of seeing something like this, but I've never had an experience. I was scared. Uh, in giving an account to the Point Pleasant Register, Tom said as he went from the road, went up the road, excuse me, he spotted a flying object that seemed to come uh, down from the woods at uh, on his on his uh, like uh, on his flight. After his description of the area, it was determined it came from the area back of the Homer Smith residence. Who's Homer Smith? Does that name sound familiar? It's Kenny Dumb Dumb Duncan's father-in-law, the one he was digging that grave for when he just couldn't mention seeing a flying monster to his buddies. Didn't want to bring him up again, but here we are. Uh, and Tom said that near Homer's house, Mothman came up like a helicopter and then veered over my car. It began going around in circles about two or three telephone poles high and kept staying above, above my car, he added. Well, his first thought was that of fear or he noted, I tried to get away. It was going about 70 miles an hour, but it kept up with me easily. He stated that it kept soaring over his vehicle until he got to Kirkland Memorial Gardens, the Point Pleasant Cemetery. Uh, why do cemeteries keep popping up this tail? And then, it, and then it made its way to the left and over toward the river. Uri said, I have a convertible. And at first felt it was going to come through the top. But after it stayed in the air at about the same height, I didn't feel like it would attack. I've seen big birds, but I've never seen anything like this, he commented. And given a description, he said it was grayish brown in color. It was about six feet in length or height and was at least uh, had at least an eight to ten foot wingspan. 
And, and I like how he felt compelled to add that he had seen big birds before and that he would know the difference between a big bird with large red eyes and a winged demon man. It's weird that the people are thinking like that these things are, are, are birds, you know. Uh, bird and, and winged demon man. I feel like those are two very different creatures. Are you sure you saw a red-eyed monster face, seven-foot-tall uh, demon man with a, with a 10-foot wingspan? Or maybe a crane or condor. Maybe an owl. Maybe a large pigeon. Maybe an aggressive robin. Go, 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 G officer. I mean, heck, when you sit up on two legs and raise its wings and stare at me with its red eyes and it flexes its mampex, I thought for sure it would be a monster of some sort. But now that I think harder upon it, I think it may have been a gray parrot or perhaps a bluebird. How the fuck, how would you mix those two things up? Tom uh, probably felt compelled to say uh, that it wasn't a bird because, you know, uh, some witnesses, as we've heard, you know, those firemen d- did say that what they saw was a bird. And people do still think, uh, t- you know, today that the 1966 Mothman sightings were actually just strange bird sightings. Uh, the main culprit people seem to believe in seems to be the Sandhill Crane. I don't know if you've ever heard of one of these birds. Um, just three days after the first Mothman story was published about the Point Pleasant sighting uh, of the, you know, Mothman following a car full of uh, two young local couples who drove back out of town, saw it again. A story was published in the Huntington Herald Dispatch on November 19th, and it was titled The Mothman. Would you believe a Sandhill Crane? And here's what it said. It said the case of the Mason County monster may have been solved Friday by a West Virginia University professor. Dr. Robert L. Smith, associate professor of wildlife biology, in WVU's Division of Forestry, told Mason Sheriff George Johnson at Point Pleasant he believes the thing which has been frightening people in the Point Pleasant area since Tuesday is a large bird which stopped off while migrating south. From all the descriptions I have read about this thing, it perfectly matches the Sandhill Crane, said the professor. I definitely believe that's what people are seeing. Since Tuesday, more than 10 people have spotted what they described as Birdman or Mothman in the area of the McClintic Wildlife uh, Station. They described it as a huge gray-winged creature with large red eyes. Dr. Smith said the Sandhill Crane stands an average of five feet tall and has gray plumage. A feature of its appearance is a bright red fleshy area around each eye. It has an average wing spread of about seven feet. Somebody who has never seen anything like it before could easily get the impression it is a flying man, he said. Car lights would cause the bare skin to reflect its big red circles around the eyes. Okay, so I had to stop reading this old newspaper article at this point. And look up some pictures of this crane. And I got to say, it looks nothing like a dude. Like nothing. I don't know what the hell Dr. Smith is talking about when he says perfectly matches the description of a Sandhill crane. No, no. It has a teeny tiny little bird head. Like the tiniest little bird head. uh, With not human at all looking bird eyes on the sides of its head. Since it is not a predator. On the sides of its little, little bird head. And it's very skinny, little narrow bird head rests on the end of a very super duper long, very skinny crane neck. It does have big, cool, powerful looking wings. It's a big bird, but in between those wings is a skinny ass little weak bird body. It looks honestly like a long necked duck with big wings and literal sticks for legs. Its legs could not be skinnier. Its legs look like they're about an inch in diameter. Looks like, it reminds me of bamboo reeds. It looks like they got uh, bamboo reeds with little web feet at the bottom. No one, no one. <laughs> actually, you know what? Uh, the web feet. I, I I added that. I you know I have to full disclosure to be very honest with you guys. I I wrote that in the in my notes, but uh, I don't actually. It might have little. It might not have webs. It has little fucking tiny bird feet. I know that. Uh, no one who would see this. I, I I don't think would have mistaken it for a human being. I don't care if it's dark. 
right? I, I don't know how you could be dumb enough to mistake this creature for a monster bird man and be smart enough to still talk to a re- reporter after the incident. Um, I, I know some people like to work themselves up and see what they want, I guess. And so, you know, they, they could have really manufactured the whole thing in that sense. <laughs> but I don't think you would see this bird and think it was a giant monster man. Uh, the end of the article, he says, while such birds are rare to this area, uh, Dr. Smith said this is migration time and it could and it could not be too difficult for one or more of the birds to stop off at the wildlife refuge. There are no official sightings of such birds in West Virginia, although there have been unconfirmed reports in the past, he added. Okay. And he warned that the Sandhill Crane is harmless if left alone, that if cornered, it may become a formidable antagonist. Its dagger-like bill is a dangerous weapon, which the crane does not hesitate to use when at bay and fighting for its life. Many a hunter's dog has been badly injured, he said. Some of those who reported seeing the monster remembered uh, best the eerie sound it made. The description of the Sandhill Crane also fits there. He says the cry of a Sandhill Crane is a veritable force of nature, untamed and unterrified. Uh, its uncanny quality is like that of a loon, but is more pronounced because of the greater volume of the crane's voice. Its resonance is remarkable and its carrying power is increased by a distinct tremolo effect. Often for several minutes after the birds have vanished, the unearthly sounds drift back to the listener like a taunting trumpet from the underworld. That's a pretty terrifying description. But does the bird actually sound like that? Well, I, I just, I, I did some research. I want to play you uh, a little. Now, this is the Sandhill Crane. It screams. So you decide for yourself if it sounds demonic to you. Okay. Okay. That That is fairly scary. Uh, that is fairly scary. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Um Let's check out. Let's check out uh, uh, another. There's there's various recordings of them on the web. Uh, maybe maybe. What about this? This is a man's world. Jam. Now to me, that one sounded more like James Brown than a Sandhill Crane. Let me, one, let me one more time on that one. This is a man's world. Jam. That's un- that's uncanny. Sounds exactly like James Brown. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, those were nonsense. Um, here is the real one. Here's the real bird sound. All right, let me let me get right back to here. Uh huh. That's that's actually what they make. Have I heard that at night? Yeah. Might creep me out, but but you know, dark cry from the underworld. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's uh that's not that terrifying to me. Um, in a perfect, in a perfect world, uh, it would sound like this. This would be awesome if this is how the bird actually sounded. I thought I tore a putty can. <laughs> I did. I did tore a putty can. Ah, oh, Tweety Bird, why are you out there trying to, trying to be Mothman? Scaring folks. Come on, Tweet. Come right over here and kiss the poor little birdie. And- yeah, you make everything better, little and Tweety Bird. Up. Come here, Thomas, and kiss the little birdie. Ah, oh, I love it. He's, ah, how long has it been since you heard about Tweety? Okay, so the next day, November 26th uh, in St. Albans, West Virginia. Uh, I'm going to get rid of these so I don't actually play them during the rest of the show. <laughs> um, just outside of Charleston, 45 miles south of Point Pleasant, Mrs. Ruth Foster claims now that the Mothman is appearing on her front lawn uh, in the evening on November 26th. Uh, was standing on the lawn beside the porch, she told reporters. It was tall with big red eyes that popped out of its face. My husband is six feet one, and this bird looked about the same height or maybe a little shorter, she continued. 
It had a funny little face. I didn't see any beak. All I saw were those big, red, poppy eyes. I screamed and ran back into the house. My brother-in-law went out to look, but it was gone. Okay, so all right. So, so Mrs. Foster may have seen a bird. I vote bird with this encounter when she talks about ha- having a tiny, funny little face. But some of the other people are either truly lying or have really hyped up a bird uh, in their minds if it's not a monster. The next day in St. Albans, on November 27th, two teenage girls allegedly are chased uh, by a gray seven-foot-tall creature. Uh, Sheila Kane, age 13, and her younger sister were walking home from the store when they saw an enormous something standing next to the local junkyard. It was gray and white with big red eyes, Sheila reported, and it must have been seven feet tall, taller than a man. I screamed. We ran home. It flew up in the air and followed us part of the way. Connie Joe Carpenter, 18-year-old witness, or 18-year-old, 18-year-old waitress at Tiny's Diner in Point Pleasant, now Village Pizza, also claimed to have an encounter with Mothman on the 27th. Connie Joe described was described as a shy, studious girl of 18 from New Haven, claimed to have the encounter 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, November 27th, driving home from church when she saw what at first she thought was a large man uh, dressed in gray standing on the deserted uh, links of the Mason County Golf Course. Again, on route, uh, route 62, about 50 miles north of Point Pleasant. Ten-foot wings suddenly unfolded. The thing took off straight up and headed for her car. Those eyes, they were very red, and once they were fixed on me, I couldn't take my own eyes off of them. It's a wonder I didn't have a wreck, she declared. Connie Joe said the creature flew directly at her windshield, then veered off and disappeared. She stepped on the gas and raced home in hysteria, locked herself in her bedroom. Those eyes, that's all she'd ever say was those eyes, her boyfriend would later say. She was so upset that she wasn't, uh, she was unable to go to school for several days and required medical attention. She was also, uh, she also suffered from an ailment afterwards called Klieg conjunctivitis or Iburn. Her eyes were red, swollen, and itchy with water coming out of them for two weeks. Miss Carpenter was also one of the few to claim a close look at the Mothman's face, saying it was horrible, like something out of a science fiction movie. Many years later, in 2001, when filmmakers uh, making the Search for the Mothman documentary wanted to talk to her about it, she declined. She said, I guess she's still kind of traumatized. Her husband, Keith Aker, who was her boyfriend at the time of the sighting, spoke on her behalf saying, I'd like people to understand that I'm here to make sure they don't think she's a kook because she's not. And when she says she's seen, she's actually seen. He went on to say, the only thing I have to say is keep an open mind because someday it could happen to you. And if you try to tell somebody, what are you going to do? If they laugh at you, uh, well, okay. All right. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. I mean, it is weird that someone would get that worked up over a bird sighting. You know, I, I doubt a crane would emotionally scar you like that. Uh, if, if a crane would emotionally scar you like that, man, you're a fragile, you're a fragile human being. That's gotta be terrible to live like that. Uh, if you can get PTSD from a crane sighting. Um, okay. So sometime in, in November, in 1966, Bob Bosworth and his friend Alan Coates are said to have seen the legendary Mothman within the TNT area's abandoned North Power Plant in Point Pleasant, uh, just outside. And, and now these two, if they saw anything, they did not see a crane. I feel pretty sure of that. There's a, there's a fair amount of alleged sightings written about uh, that happen at some point. Uh, there are sightings that are not given an exact date to them in the fall of 1966. I'm leaving out most of them. It's pretty redundant. You know, you get the idea now. A lot of them are pretty vague sightings, uh, weren't reported in the papers at the time, don't really add much to the story. I just want you to know that they're out there. This one I wanted to include because Bob has repeated this story to numerous interviewers, authors, and documentary filmmakers over the years. Uh, the stories remain consistent, and, it, and it, <laughs> it is an interesting one. He said, a friend of mine, Alan Coates, had a motorcycle. We were just riding around, and Al said, you want to go up to the TNT area? And I said, yeah, we might as well. Bob and Alan had already heard news stories about the Mothman, which locals referred to simply as the bird, 
Bobbin even once offered Roger Scarberry five bucks to take him to where he saw the bird, but Roger declined the offer. It was chilly weather, so the men were wearing heavy coats. They drove along Camp Conley Road. The road was adjacent to the old armory, which later became fairgrounds. So we're riding out through there, and Al said, look at that. We stopped, and up on top of the roof, that old power plant building, uh, it was, I believe, a three-story building, and up on top, we seen two big, what looked like red eyes looking at us. And he's telling the story many years later to an author. He said, somebody's probably got a couple reflectors nailed to a board trying to fool somebody. I bet you're right, I said, so, or no, he's, uh, no, he said, yeah, I said, I, I said, I bet you're right. Let's go up there and see what it is. So I do like these guys' style. This happens. They're being honest. We finally get a pair of adventurers with some balls in his tail. Hail Nimrod. Right? Enough squealing and running around, racing, you know, away from this thing. You know, falling down on your baby. Let's have Mossman get chased for once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West Virginia hawk folk, gonna get him now. Oh, boy. You don't did it, Mossman. Uh, he says, we stopped right there and we looked up. Well, it looked like those red eyes were looking down at us then. That still didn't bother us much because we thought whoever it was just turned the board. The men tried to pick up the front of the motorcycle. Shine the headlight on the red eyes, but the motorcycle was too heavy. They couldn't get to the front end of it. Yeah, they couldn't get to the front end of it, excuse me, high enough. So they decided to, to just go to the top of the building. They entered the power plant, went to the third floor on a concrete platform. There were metal grating catwalks veering off toward abandoned equipment. And that'd be spooky as shit. Walking through an abandoned power plant, looking for the source of two shiny lights that could be the eyes of some Mothman creature. Scary and exciting. I wouldn't do it alone, but I probably would do it with a friend. Right? The feeling, whether it's real or not, safety in numbers. He goes, in the process of a lot of demolition work, they'd remove the ladders that took you up on the roof. I thought that, uh, I thought, how in the world could anybody get up there? All of a sudden, this, I don't know, I don't really know what to say. Whatever, whatever I saw, it, it very slowly and precisely walked towards us. The floors of the abandoned power plant were literally, were littered with broken glass from the windows. You couldn't really take a step without crunching something beneath your feet. The moonlight was so bright, it was shining through the openings of the windows, creating a spotlight effect while leaving certain places still in complete shadow. We heard it walk, and it walked right up and just stayed in the dark. At that point, he didn't see any red eyes. He said, I thought about that, and I think that's because there was no light to reflect him. All of his movements were slow and precise. No flighty movements, no waddles or anything like that. It got to the point that if I had taken one step and extended my arm towards it, I could have touched it. Bob claimed to have seen just a distinct outline of the creature. The unique shape was large, had broad shoulders. He estimated it was six, six, seven feet tall. We're no bird. Unless someone released an especially tall, especially short-necked, aggressive emu or ostrich in West Virginia in late 1966. I've seen no records of that. He said, I don't know of any man that I've ever seen this built the way this thing was built. Back then I weighed 170 pounds. Its shoulders went past me, had a taper to it. Well, I, I would compare it with the robin. You know, bird, how it looks when their wings are folded and how their bulge at the top and come back down to a taper. It was just as though it had a head, a large head sitting on its shoulders. Here's what we did because you can't sometimes comprehend what you're seeing. Well, it looked like a very, it looked very strange. So I told Al, you know, Al, that's, that's a bird. Uh, I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> what? He said, Al, that's, if that's a bird, I'm going to shoot it. Uh, he said, well, we didn't have any guns. If it were somebody... They should have spoke up and said, hey, man, don't shoot. It's me. Oh, I see what he's doing. I see. That's right. He's trying to make the, he's saying out loud, hey, this is a bird. Let's shoot it to make it. Uh, if it's a person, be like, no, don't shoot me. Nothing. He just stood right there. I said again, Al, I mean it. I'm going to shoot it. He said, go ahead. I put my hand into my coat like I had a gun. No sound. It just stood right there just as if it were looking right at me. I'm 5'9". I had to tilt my head back a little bit to look where its face should be. Had a rounded head. 
Well, if you can imagine a U upside down, it was just too big to be a man. There was no quick or threatening moves whatsoever. And, it meant no, no, and had it meant any harm, it certainly had its chance right there towards either one of us. But I remember that any nervousness went away and I started becoming more interested in trying to figure it out. I became at that point very calm. I wasn't afraid. I was unsure. Bob and Al stared at the thing in front of them for another five to six minutes. It very slowly and precisely turned towards the catwalks. Now these catwalks had been torn up and everything else. They went out to nothing, dropped off three stories down. And, and it's where they had removed equipment. So whatever this thing was turned and started walking out the cat. I don't know what the fuck. It's fucking terrible. I don't know what the hell he's trying to say here. So it, it's, it's, I'm still to the point that I'm not sure what I'm seeing. And I didn't want anyone to get hurt. So I yelled out, buddy. Don't go out on that catwalk. There's no railing. It drops off three stories down. Never hesitation. Then we just heard the sound of wings. It was just as though it said, well, I'm bored and left. I walked, it walked back. God damn it, man. They're fucking, it walked to the back of the catwalk. And only at that time, for some reason, is when we started getting a little nervous. I don't like the way this guy speaks. We hastily left. Bob and Alan ran down the steps. They didn't hear anything else, but kept looking back as they ran to the motorcycle and drove off. One thing that has always stuck in my mind all these years is how in the world, if it was a person or someone out to scare us, how they could get up there and then get down that quick while we were coming up the steps. Bob and Alan mostly kept the story to themselves. They didn't think the police could help. Bob's father thought he was seeing things and no one would believe him, even if he told him. Uh, Bob added, I would give anything to see it one more time before I die. I would do things differently. I would try to touch it. I just got the feeling when it was in front of me that it was, it was safe. And I wasn't, it wasn't going to hurt me. I just wish I could caress it. I wish I could hug it and tell it that everything's okay. I wish I could just look into its eyes and just understand what love is and feel approval that I never got from my father. And I just wish if I could one chance that I could just hold his hands, hold his moth hands and just ask and just get down on one knee and just, will you marry me? If I could, if I one, if I had one shot and just and put my lips on his beak and just, you know, and just feel his chest and hope, hope that there's breasts and breasts or not and just make love to it. And have a, have a beautiful moth baby and raise it with a caring and understanding that my father never gave me when I was young. And, and, and then Bob just started to, to weep. Uh, no, I made up that last stuff. But, uh, but he told the story to Jeff Wamsley. He published it in his 2005 book, Mothman Behind the Red Eyes. In 2017, the audio from this interview uh, was used in an animated sequence in the Mothman of Point Pleasant documentary. I wish that stuff I made up at the end uh, was also animated. So that's what they say, what, that's what they say happened. Now, the, the, I do have... I thought it was just a weird story, so I wanted to share. I do have problems with this story. My main problem is the lack of a flashlight, right? Let me get this straight. You've been planning on going out, looking for some scary-ass creature out in the woods at night. I would think that a flashlight would be a very important item to have on your list. Uh, next, next to maybe gun. Gun might be the only other more important item to have in that list, and they have brought neither. And this is a, These are two dudes in rural West Virginia in 1966 don't have guns or flashlights with them on this adventure. I have a problem with that. However, I am very forgetful. I do do shit without planning it myself a lot of times. You know, I, I will go to the grocery store without grabbing the grocery list. The one thing I'm supposed to fucking bring besides my wallet. I've gone to the grocery store without either my wallet or the grocery list. So maybe, maybe that could have happened. Okay. So a couple more little eyewitness things here. Another alleged eyewitness who supposedly saw this creature sometime in late November, 1966 excuse me, as a sighting worth mentioning is Faye DeWitt Laporte. That November in Point Pleasant, the 13-year-old Faye and her siblings decided to see if they could find the mythical Mothman uh, said to be haunting the area. Her older brother, Topper, had heard of the sightings, wanted to prove if it was fake, once and for all. 
So they drove to the creature's rumored hiding place, that damn TNT area outside of Point Pleasant, drove up there in a green 59 Ford truck. As they drove, the Mothman said to have appeared and began running beside the car. Oh, he can run now, too. I like it. Terrified, Faye found herself face-to-face with the creature through the car window. Her brother told her not to look at it, but she caught glimpses from the corner of her eye. She said it was whitish and sandy, had the features of a human, but no beak. Almost, uh, yeah, had the features of a human. Yeah, no beak. Almost everyone by late November is sure to point out that what they saw was not a bird. Uh, and she saw those infamous giant red eyes. She didn't see the creature's wings until later because he didn't fly at first. He was just running. She was impressed by the creature's ability to keep up with them, running, uh, you know, about 50 miles an hour. Face it, all I could see was the eyes. They were, they were so big other than anything else on his face. It just, it just held you. And that's about all you saw, the eyes. The eyes was the reddest eyes I've ever seen in my life. And to this day, I've never seen anything that red. In a panic, she told her younger sister, Betty, and her younger brother to hide by ducking down in the back seat. Her older brother went as fast as he could around a sharp corner, trying to lose the creature, but the beast was simply too fast. It turned along with him, continued to follow. Faye's brother went around another sharp turn, stopped the car sideways in the road. Ah, oh, shit's intense. Creature jumped on the hood of the car, looked at them through the windshield. The creature leaped to the top of a nearby abandoned factory then, Jumped on top of the building, then just turned and sat down and crouched like a gargoyle, Faye described. The creature was amazingly able to leap the height of a tall building in a single jump without flying some superhero shit. She then says that her brother got out of the car and and what? She says that her brother got out of the car and started throwing rocks and pieces of coal at the creature. What the fuck? Dude, if this is a horror movie, you'd be first to go. What are you doing? You're getting out? out of, why would you get out and throw rocks at it? And, and how much more stereotypically West Virginian could you be right now? You hop out to throw literal lumps of coal <laughs> just laying on the ground at a at a cryptozoological beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and get out here, damn motherfucker. You take that. I'll bean you right between your critter eyes with this here coal lump. Oh, don't. You don't scare my sister. You don't scare my sister, you damn big butt man, son of a bitch. You got me out there, Bill. Go on, get out of here, gargoyle. Get out of here, you crane fella. Anyway, that's Faith's story. That's what she says. Uh, she said that her, her finally her brother threw a larger coal chunk, <laughs> landed, landed by Mothman's foot. And that's when he stood up, looked at him, turned sideways, jumped down from the roof in the same way he got up. Uh, Faye's brother then rushed back to the car and closed the door. Yeah, I bet he did. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't make that moment. I found it real hot, but he did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't see the way you look at me? With big old red cream filler eyes. Oh, hot dog. He's all kind of bothered, man. You keep door lock. You keep the door lock. He, he lava the rim. I cold my cold fling neck now. Huh? Yeah, he won't give my cold on. I got to throw no more cold. I never know how. <laughs> that's, that's how I picture him kind of getting excited. Uh, then they saw the creature spread its wings for the first time, fly off in the darkness, leaving the children stunned. Faye described the Mothman by saying, I'd say it's close to five, six feet. Right? Same description. Same description everybody else has given. She also told a story to the local author, Jeff Wamsley, for that same book we just referenced, uh, 2005 Mothman, Behind the Red Eyes. I think I mentioned that one already. Uh, Faye then went on uh, the Monster Quest television show and was later featured in the Eyes of the Mothman documentary. 2017, Faye appeared in the Mothman of Point Pleasant documentary. A lot of documentaries done about Mothman. Uh, when asked if she thought the creature could have been some sort of mutation, she said, this was not a mutation. This was something that was perfectly formed the way it was supposed to be, just like any other thing is. Okay. Uh, if you'll recall from the Men in Black suck, it was around this time that the Men in Black supposedly started visiting Mothman witnesses. Uh, I said in, the, in that suck that local West Virginia journalist Mary Heyer was approached by the Men in Black, who asked her to stop reporting on Mothman. And then if you recall, just just uh, just gave up and left her alone when she said no. Uh, she said, yeah, I'm going to keep reporting. And they're like, okay. And they just left. 
Uh, she she said other locals were approached by the men in black. One uh, was the witness we just spoke of, Faye DeWitt Laporte. Faye said that when her and her brother tried to return to the TNT area a few days after the society, it was blocked off by two men in black who would not let them enter. Uh, one of the four Mothman witnesses who really kicked off the news coverage of the Mothman back on November 15th, Linda Scarberry, would also claim to have had uh, men in black encounters. She later said in an interview, the men in black wore black suits, black hats, and sunglasses. They drove black cars, Cadillacs, I think. Looked like human beings, but their skin was somewhat transparent. You could see the veins in their hands very clearly. Their fingers were longer than a normal person's fingers as well. Daddy shook hands with them, and he said they were awkward in shaking hands. That's how you know. Got an alien, but they don't know how to shake a hand right. Uh, they seem to know what to do. Oh, they seem to not know what to do or how to shake hands. <laughs> that is kind of a funny detail that people give. Like, like some creature is going to be smart enough to travel around the galaxy and immediately get to, uh, you know, UFO or cryptozoological uh, sightings and start interrogating people, but not figure out how to shake a fucking hand. Okay. She said, one of the cars would follow us around. There were three men in the car. The men in black went so far as to follow us through the drive through of a restaurant. We were afraid to turn around and just looked in the mirror at him. Okay. Uh, within two weeks of the initial publication of the first Mothman sighting, sightings of the creature tapered off, but did steadily kind of pour in, uh, you know, for the next year until December of 1967. A steady stream of sightings of everything from an impossibly large bird to a giant owl to the devil himself sitting next to one man in his bedroom at night. Lawrence Gray of Point Pleasant uh, reported feeling something like that was in his house, uh, looking all over in the middle of the night, not finding anything. But then when he uh, he laid back down in his bed, Lied back down, rolled over. There was, a, there was a winged humanoid with red eyes sitting in his room staring at him. He was paralyzed with fear, claims it was the devil himself. So these sightings are still going on, right? People are claiming to see all kinds of monsters, even to see the devil. He, he said it dissipated and vanished into thin air. Uh, and then he woke his wife up who agreed that it was the devil. This does not feel like a Mothman incident, but it's part of the lore. I, I love that his wife agreed that it was the devil he saw. It's just the devil, Larry. It's not Mothman. Just, it's just Satan. Now go back to bed. I'm sure he's moved on to some other center. Well, what have you been doing anyway? The devil come to our home, Larry. Have you been hanging around that corner tavern staring at Susie Lee's ass again? Uh, two women swore they saw Mothman fly to meet a UFO. It's one of the most outlandish uh, sightings on May 19th, 1967. The flying creature with uh, glowing red eyes approached a hovering luminous object and then disappeared. That's what Brenda Stone thinks she, uh, thinks she saw. November 1967, four adult males claimed to have encountered a giant gray creature figure with red eyes while hunting in Chief Cornstalk Park in West Virginia. So frightened, they never thought to raise the rifles until after the creature was gone. Uh, December 15th, 1967, the Mothman sighting seemed to come to an end. Exactly 13 months after the stories began. At 5.05 p.m. local time that cold winter's day, the Silver Bridge connecting Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, to Galapolis, Ohio, collapses on the coldest day of the year. 46 people die. Nine more are injured. Two additional people disappear. It's the worst bridge accident in American history up until that point. For days, rescue workers pulled smash cars and bodies out of the river. In an interview, bridge collapse survivor Charlene Wood said, when I got to the traffic light here in Point Pleasant, I got the red light. When it changed, I started going onto the bridge, and just about that time, the bridge started shaking. She heard a loud noise and thought that a boat had hit the bridge underneath. She reversed her vehicle as the bridge began folding inward on itself with her tires stopped on the ledge where it broke off. Man, that'd be scary to come that close. The Department of Transportation conducted a detailed investigation of the collapse, found the cause to be a small uh, tenth of an inch, two and a half millimeter deep defect on the 13th steel pin eye bar on the bridge that was improperly manufactured. Unlucky 13. 
couple of sightings of Mothman were said to have occurred near the bridge before the incident. Uh, nothing that nothing that there are records of or names attached to, just whisperings. Rumors eventually spread that the bridge collapse was connected to Mothman in some way, and that Mothman could have been trying to warn people about the bridge collapse. Could have been some kind of dark premonition, some harbinger of doom. Right, this is the beginning of that part of the lore. And and that, while it doesn't take us uh, out of the Mothman story, does take us out of today's Time Suck timeline. Whoops. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. <laughs> Sorry about the butt mistakes. I got a little... I tried to get a little fancy, tried to sneak around on the soundboard and throw some James Brown into the, the story earlier, and I forgot that I had done that, and I left the wrong thing up. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Right? So we still got out of the timeline. Okay. Uh, while Mothman sightings in West Virginia have been rare since the collapse of the bridge in 1967, other sightings of winged humanoids have accompanied other disasters around the world, adding to the Mothman legend like the Black Bird of Chernobyl. Uh, the Black Bird of Chernobyl is an internet legend. Uh, about an allegedly seen creature in Ukraine uh, around the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in the weeks leading up to the disaster, the Chernobyl disaster on uh, April 26, 1986. It's a description very similar to the Mothman creature. Humanoid in appearance, uh, black or dark gray in coloration, wings and glowing red eyes, supposedly sighted by several workers before they died. Um, was the Blackbird of Chernobyl the same creature as the one seen prior to the Silver Bridge disaster? Or was, as some have suggested, was it a just a, a rare black stork? Uh, or entirely an internet legend? The story doesn't seem to appear to be in any known newspapers uh, or, or book publications, you know, back around the time of the disaster. doesn't show up anywhere until about 15 years ago. The earliest known telling of this tale comes from a 2005 post on AmericanMonsters.com, which says, beginning in April of 1986, a rumor tore through the ranks of what was a little-known nuclear power plant located in the southern tier of the Ukraine, Chernobyl. In the days preceding the tragic meltdown, four Chernobyl employees had reported seeing what they claimed was a large, dark, headless man with gigantic wings and fire-red eyes. Chernobyl employees began to share unsettling and strangely similar experiences. Some uh, had been having horrifying nightmares while others received threatening phone calls. According to the accounts, some of these employees even mentioned their bizarre experiences to their superiors at the facility, but without evidence or any clear-cut indication of what the problem may be, there was very little these officials could do, uh, even had they been willing to take action. So, you know, and then and there was just, you know, so there's a little bit more to the rumor is that a Soviet helicopter circled a smoldering plant, dropping over 500 pounds of clay, sand, lead, and other extinguishing chemicals on top of the flames. Some of the surviving workers who... At the sacrifice of their own lives, heroically struggled to prevent further destruction, claimed to have witnessed what has been described as a 20-foot bird gliding through the un undulating tentacles of ir irradiated smoke spewing from the re reactor when it melted down. Uh, Mothman is also tied to the collapse of the World Trade Center tower, tower excuse me, in New York City on 9-11 on following the terrorist attacks. Uh, rumors emerged that witnesses reported seeing a large crane-like figure in the vicinity of the towers five days prior to the attack. You know, been 31 years since any uh, such Mothman sighting in North America now. On the day of the horrific attack, Mothman was reported to have appeared again, some claiming they could see his face through clouds of smoke and debris. Two images said to have been taken by Steve Moran show what is thought to be Mothman in New York City on September 11, 2001. Um, Mothman, uh, okay, so he says, I live in New York, and when I heard the Twin Towers were attacked, I immediately rushed to the scene to take photographs. First of all, I took pictures of medical workers who were providing assistance. 
Then I took pictures towards the site, uh, towards the south on Greenwich Street. When I got home, I realized there was an object that caught my camera. Steve went on, looks like an angel, was hovering above the ruins of the World Trade Center fractions. Maybe it's not a pigeon or a stork because of their large size. Moreover, we do have, we do not have the pelicans or bird carcasses in New York. Okay, so anyway, he took his picture and uh, I've seen it. Uh, you know, different versions of, uh, of this, this photo and stuff on the web. To me, it looks photoshopped. looks very photoshopped. But, you know, if you read the comments underneath the, uh, the videos, like especially on YouTube, not everyone thinks so. And then in 2007, Mothman became associated with another bridge collapse, this time in Minnesota. The I-35 West Mississippi River Bridge, officially known as Bridge 9340, was an eight-lane steel truss arch bridge uh, that carried Interstate 35 West across St. Anthony Falls of the Mississippi River in Minneapolis, Minnesota. On August 1st, 2007, during rush hour, it suddenly collapsed, killing 13 people, injuring another 45, another, excuse me, 145. The bridge was Minnesota's third busiest, carrying 140,000 vehicles daily. And a design flaw was also likely the cause of that collapse. Uh, the bridge was coincidentally built in 1967, same year the Silver Bridge collapsed in Point Pleasant. Another weird numerical coincidence, Minnesota Bridge was a portion of I-35, Silver Bridge was part of U.S. Highway 35. Not to mention that the death toll is number 13, reoccurring number of the Mothman legend. Uh, George Nori, host of the Coast to Coast AM program we've talked about in a few alien-centric sucks, took various calls from individuals who reported many kinds of strange creature sightings in the days after this collapse. People told their own eyewitness accounts for hours. Um, however, the, the, you know these calls came in after the bridge collapsed, which is a little suspicious to me. But, again, still part of the Mothman lore now. And there's other random encounters with winged humanoids at times of disaster. Uh, like the 2009 swine flu outbreak in Mexico. Random on April 10th, 2009, residents of La Junta, or La Junta, excuse me, in the Mexican state of Chihuahua began noticing a strange creature in their midst, very tall and hairy, with two expansive wings and wide bloodshot eyes. One young student reported that the creature chased him relentlessly. Uh, during this time, that uh, the area began to see a rise in swine flu cases tied to this uh, ongoing 2009 outbreak. Um, two other witnesses claimed to have see, heard the creature in an apple orchard near a cemetery. <laughs> so, like some people, you know, do believe this is part of the Mothman kind of lore. Uh, 1978, a group of miners in Freiburg, Germany, came face to face with a seemingly headless creature with glowing red eyes on his chest, blocking the mine's entrance. First, they thought it was a man in a trench coat. Quickly realized it was not a coat. Because then it unfurled huge black wings. The men remained. The men remained in the mine entrance, stunned and staring at the creature, until a blood-curdling screech sent the miners scrambling out. And then, about an hour later, they felt a seismic rumble and witnessed a plume of dust shoot from the mine as it collapsed. <clears throat> Excuse me. If the men had gone to their stations as usual, the majority would have died that day. So it appears that what, what has been dubbed the Freeburg Shrieker may have saved their lives. However. I cannot find, again, any original sources for that legend. And I, and I have a feeling, kind of like the uh, Chernobyl and 9-11, that this was manufactured on the web, kind of like that Russian sleep experiment. Uh, and then there's also the uh, Fukushima nuclear meltdown where Marcus Pools, an American visiting Japan, was near the plant uh, in 2011 when he suddenly heard a loud whooshing sound and terrible screeching. And then he thinks he saw this, you know, creature with large black wings. So there's, there's uh, you know, even other less cited and more obscure supposed legends. So what do I think about Mothman? What, what do I think uh, it or he is? If anything, I will sum up my Mothman thoughts right after we check in with the web on today's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. 
hit the right button that time. I want that put on my record. I want that put on my accuracy record. Nailed it. Today, uh, the first video is, is uh, looked at as the Mothman documentary. Just over a million views. It's posted on November 25th, uh, 2015 by Top Fives. Funny dude Jake Jones brings up an excellent point, saying maybe it's just a huge-ass moth. That'd be so creepy and great if there was just some giant man-sized moth out in West Virginia. Uh, I would I would uh, rather be attacked, attacked by a moth man, I think, than a giant moth. It's terrifying. User Nina Morales makes an interesting uh, Project MK Ultra connection, saying this is a time when the CIA was experimenting with LSD. So maybe they were having a lot of fun, LOL, fucking with this town. Uh, Nina is correct about the timeline. I mean, the Point Pleasant Mothman sighting occurred in what? December of, uh, of, or excuse me, the Point, yeah, the, the bridge collapsed in 67. Uh, you know, the, the occurrences were occurring mostly in the fall of 66. MK Ultra, the LSD experiments ran from 1953 until 73. They were headquartered, at least initially in Camp Dietrich, now Fort Dietrich, Maryland. Point Pleasant, only about a five hour drive west excuse me, of Fort Detrick. And if you'll recall from the MK Ultra suck, the CIA did dose unsuspecting citizens with LSD. That happened for sure. Uh, the United States President's Commission on CIA Activities within the United States set up under President Gerald Ford in 1975 to investigate the activities of the CIA and other agencies within the U.S. Uh, commission led by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller, sometimes referred to as the Rockefeller Commission, did uncover all of this. Uh, user Nick does knows that the Mothman is real. He's 100% sure. He's thought it out, and he posts, Mothman is real. I can't say for sure Yetis are real, but Mothman and El Chupacabra are real. Just because Mothman hasn't been seen doesn't mean it isn't there. As well, I think a Thunderbird is also possible, but I know, scientifically, highly unlikely. It's just hard for me to imagine every creature from the sea to the land and the skies have all been cartographied and on, or on some list. That's plain ridiculous. To sit here and say Mothman or the lesser known creatures besides Yetis are not real is quite silly. A whole town freaking said they saw it or saw something. So question is, do you believe it was a moth or a bird? Okay, that's a very confusing argument. Um, he said new species are still being discovered. So to claim a species isn't real doesn't make sense <laughs> unless it's Bigfoot. That doesn't seem legit. And I question the existence of Thunderbirds. But Mothman? Chubacabra? Of course they exist. I just love like the strange lines he's drawn. You're right. It's like Frankenstein. That's a bunch of horse shit. Dracula. Oh yeah. Fucking course is real. I mean, werewolves. Yeah. For a hundred percent. I just love that he is so sure that Yeti, Yeti, get out of here. Uh-uh. No fucking way. Mothman. <laughs> yes. Unless you're an idiot. You'd know that it's real. What a weird reality for him to live in. That, I mean, how is Mothman more credible than Yeti? Uh, for a second there, I thought I'd love to talk to him to find out, but I would I hope I'd never talk to him. It'd be a terrible, I, I would hate to be cornered by that maniac. User Shanti Gaming is my spirit animal in this thread. She posts, ha I'm here to warn you of a disaster about to happen. I can somehow sense disasters before they come, but can't write a note, talk, or actually land on the bridge in public to bring attention to myself and the problem. I have to be cryptic, scare people in random areas, hoping they somehow get the message and maybe sneak onto the bridge for two seconds and fly away. If you can't tell, I find it hard to believe whatever was here wanted to bring knowledge of a coming disaster. I love it. Yeah, if Mothman is real, if there was a real cryptid creature, I don't believe for a second it was trying to warn people about anything. 
Like, what a shitty harbinger of doom. Leave a fucking note already, you worthless moth creature. Stop attacking cars and scaring teenagers and just leave a note. Show up on the bridge. W- wave, wave a note. Don't. It's going to crash now. I'm a, I'm a weird monster. You should listen to me. No, stop, stop, stop. Play a quick game of charades, something. You're the worst warning system in the history of disasters. Okay, user Tanner Phoenix also brings up a great point, posting, wait, this thing showed itself to a woman and her baby, followed people in their car, peered in someone's front door window, but when the police arrive, this thing runs away. How does it know of the police? Exactly. It doesn't know how to warn us, uh, you know, but it does know what police are. A lot of logic holes, some of these sightings. User uh, Suhar Osman has a funny reply saying, I guess it had weed. Uh, couldn't take the risk. User Jack Pritchard posted a comment similar to so many others I saw in this long thread saying, a moth hit me when I was watching this. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> I want to make fun of this, but I can see myself doing that same thing. Like, you know, just watching Mothman video after Mothman video alone at night. Videos with jump cuts and spooky and suspenseful soundtracks, working yourself up and then suddenly a moth lands on you. Yeah, I'd probably spook myself pretty good too. Right. Uh, I tried to I tried to find some good wackadoodle video from someone who claims to have witnessed Mothman firsthand, and uh, you know there are all these all these witnesses that seem to have one thing in common. In addition to seeing Mothman, they have no idea how to record a decent video with solid audio. They lo- they love to record outside in the wind uh, or at the Mothman festival with a classic rock band behind them, making it almost impossible to see understand what they're saying. A good Mothman witness interview is almost as elusive as Mothman himself, or just painfully boring. But eventually, after a lot of digging, I found some clips from a destination, uh, destination America show called Mountain Monster- Monsters. Yeah, Mountain Monsters, Wackadoodle Jackpot. Mountain Monsters is five of the most hillbilly-looking motherfuckers you've ever seen in your life, uh, going out in the woods looking for Bigfoot, Mothman, other cryptoids. They are so deliciously batshit crazy. There's Buck. Buck is an expert caller who looks like Larry the Cable Guy's long-lost little brother, a guy who'd like to get her done but has a, has a hard time getting it started. Uh, there's Trapper John Tice, the team leader, who looks like he uh, monster hunts part-time when he's not making moonshine or participating in Civil War reenactments. There's Jeff, the team researcher, who looks like Santa Claus if Santa left the North Pole Traded his red and white suit in for some dirty jean overalls and abandoned Christmas to be a roadie for a bluegrass band that only plays in West Virginia County fairs. There's Willie, their expert trap builder, whose traps haven't caught a single cryptoid ever. How do you call yourself an expert trap builder when your traps never catch what you're looking for ever one time? Uh, he, he looks like an extra from Duck Dynasty. Looks like one of the Robertsons who was never allowed on camera because he looks too redneck. And then there's my favorite, a man who goes only by the name of Huckleberry, like, like some sort of backwoods Drake or Madonna, just a one-name entity. He's head of team security. This dude looks like he's been living alone in the woods for at least a decade. Uh, and, and he's been living in the woods after he escaped from a mental institution. <laughs> and in one clip I found, Huckleberry claims to have been hypnotized by a cryptid in the middle of the night. <laughs> and the rest of the team decide to throw him in a river to snap him out of it. It's so good. It's so good. Before we hear the clip, uh, let's let's listen to Huckleberry to get a little bit of a feel for Huckleberry. I want you to listen to him uh, talking about a childhood encounter he supposedly had with Sasquatch. Tell you guys, it's bothered me for 46 years. It, it's hard to talk about. I'm telling you guys because we're friends, we're family, we've sweated together, we've bled together. Yeah. That's so dramatic. It started 46 years ago, 1969. Uh-huh. 
We have a garden back there on top of the hill. We drive out here a couple times a week, help Grandpa hoe, pick weeds. Me and my brother, my mom, and my grandpa was back there. Uh, back this in the garden. we went back there on the hill of the garden, we're going to pick beans. Well, we picked our bushel of beans, <laughs> asked them if they'd eat it, anything else. I uh -huh. said, now nah, go ahead and run around for a while. We both grabbed a tomato, I'll remember that, because we was eating tomatoes. Uh-huh, eating tomatoes. Thing to do. Yeah, people did it. We worked our way out around this old horse trail. Uh -huh. You get out there so far, it sort of drops off. Had saplings about 10 foot tall. And my brother threw a rock over the hill. Okay. And all uh -oh. of a sudden, something was taking these saplings like it was really pissed off. And oh, it was just shit. beating these saplings back and forth. Uh-huh. You could see the tops of them just being fray laid from one side to the other. Mm -hmm. But we're watching this, and all of a sudden, this great big huge hand. Uh-oh. Forearms uh -huh. come up out of the tops of them brush and have oh. hold of this one tree right okay, there. Okay, okay. The forearm on this thing was that big around. He described it wow. twice as big as his arm. He's this pretty big. This thing got a, a hold big of dude. your head. There is no doubt in my mind it'd squish you like a tomato. If it wanted to, I guess. Huckleberry doesn't impress easy. Uh -huh. For him to be impressed by this creature's forearms? Yeah. This thing must be massive. It stepped up uh -huh. on this rock, and when it did, I got to see the shoulders. <laughs> the shoulders was ever a bit this wide. Okay. And we pounded feet out of there. I mean, just as fast as we could run. Yep. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever mm -hmm. that I seen a Bigfoot that day. <laughs> my grandpa told me that we should never talk about it. Okay. I wish to God I'd listened to him. Uh-oh. What happened, People Huckleberry? People have been just downright mean. I mean no. It, it's hard to talk about. Uh-huh. I've been ridiculed. What? I've been thrown out of school. Thrown out of school? To this day, people will laugh at you. This thing damn near ruined my life. Uh-huh. It ruined my brother. My my brother will not talk whatever about this. <laughs> wow. I love... <laughs> I love he says it damn near ruined my life. Man, this is a crazy damn near ruined my life when I saw his forearm and nothing else. It's damn near ruined my life. I mean, luckily, I'm now a successful Mothman hunter. However, things could have turned out very differently. As opposed to being a, a large, uh, you know, bearded uh, hillbilly in overalls. Uh, looks like I haven't taken a bath in five or six weeks. Sc scrampling through the forest, trying to catch me a cryptid. Things could have not turned out so successfully. You know, uh, and I love that he says I've been thrown out of school. This guy's so full of shit. Who gets thrown out of school for that? Huckleberry, did you say you saw Bigfoot? You did? Then you get out of school! Don't you come back, you Bigfoot liar! No one has ever been thrown out of school for thinking they saw Bigfoot. Dad, how come you never graduated high school? Well, I got kicked out for talking about Bigfoot. That's why. That's why I tell you not to talk about monsters. One time, I just said, hey guys, I've seen a Bigfoot, and I'm never allowed to go to school after that ever again. Uh, and why would you not want to tell your, like, why was he so worried about telling his cryptoid hunter buddies this story? Like, you're <laughs> you're in the woods with a bunch of people looking for Mothman. And you're like, oh, man, I just had a hard time telling you about a time I, I, th I thought that you would think I was crazy for thinking I thought I, I saw a Sasquatch. Oh, oh, I had a hard time. I was real worried about bringing this up. You're not fucking bringing it up to a bunch of college professors. <laughs> you're bringing it up to your fellow monster hunters. Okay, so now you understand a little bit more about this crew. Uh, 
Let's listen to the, the clips of these grown men. Average age of these guys, about 50, about 50 years old. They've lost track of Huckleberry. They've lost Huckleberry. They're looking for Huckleberry in the woods. And, uh, and they hear him screaming out in the forest. And he claims to have been attacked by a Cherokee devil uh, who they think is a type of Bigfoot. Uh, this is so good. Okay, here we go. Hey, you're lighting that up like the 4th of July. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. Trying to get the moth, man. They got a bunch of lights out there. Guys, 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 look right up there. Oh. Put them out, put them out, put them out, put them out, put them out. Put them out. I put just them out. I just seen it. I just seen it. I seen it. Buck just saw two great big glowing eyes. We got them torches put out and had them laying there in a good dirt spot. I wasn't real sure what I even seen. Uh-huh. We're definitely not alone in this woods tonight. Uh-huh. Oh, you know what? I, I, I messed up. I apologize. I I, uh, I realized that in my notes, initially I was going to go with the uh, video of him getting tossed in the river. So I'll just have to tell you that. He gets tossed in the river. Huckleberry does get tossed in the river. And then I realized, I'm like, well, that's not even a Mothman video because there's so many things that are titled Mothman. And then it's, I thought maybe the Cherokee devil was a type of Mothman. No, this, sorry, set up the wrong thing. This video, these guys are just shining flashlights this time around out into the woods and hoping to attract Mothman, hoping to hoping that their random flash, flashlights will see Mothman. What was that? Huh? I heard something. What was that? I heard something. I heard something. Oh, hear look, looking up, oh. Did you hear that screech down the back? Did you hear that? Seriously, did you hear it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Trapper, what was that? I don't know what the hell's going on. Did I hear stuff? It's not there. Was that the trap? Just walk around the no, dark. Uh-huh. Of course it wasn't the trap. Trap never gets anything. Oh, what's that? What's that, Buck? We got stuff falling out from the trees. Uh-huh. We got all kind of movement going around us. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that we're not alone in this woods tonight. Mm-hmm. <gasps> well, then you hear noise. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, I see it move. I see it. I see it. I see it. Then you can see. Oh, shit. You can see something. Okay. And so that's, that's they, they think they see it. They don't see it again. I watched this video so many times. And it is like, it's either flashlights or it's either two flashlights next to you or it's just a car's headlights in the distance. They're like very parallel. It's just, but it's clearly like a, uh, like a man-made light. It looks, there's no red. It's nothing. And then, and then in the comments underneath, uh, user uh, Kirigaya brings up an important question when it comes up to hunting Mothman. Night. She's like, why don't they use night vision? Right? Yeah. They have this camera crew out in the woods in the middle of the night, but they don't have night vision goggles. And then Frogo Logo says something along the lines of what I'd say. He goes, because if, if they did, you would see a truck. Exactly. Exactly. If Mothman is real, uh, I guess he's smart enough to make sure those idiots never find him. Idiots of the internet. Sorry, I started to set up the wrong video there. Man, that other one was was, uh, was funny to me. But then I was like, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with Mothman. It is very hard to find just decent stuff about Mothman on the web that isn't just the same kind of like shitty Photoshop stuff uh, or just, you know, terrible, terrible audio quality. Okay, so, so let's, before I just kind of say what I think about Mothman, let's just go over the popular theories about what he could be. Obviously, there's bird. We've talked about that one a lot. You know that I don't think it's probably a bird. Owl. Some people think it's an owl. Simil- uh, same thing with me. I, I don't think it's an owl. Uh, they're way too small. In December of 1966, a big-ass owl, a barn owl, was killed just outside, uh, outside of Point Pleasant. Did make the local papers. It was during the whole Mothman craze. It did have a wingspan of nearly five feet. However, its body is so tiny. A two-foot-tall barn owl is a gigantic barn owl. They generally don't have bodies more than 15 inches long. 
and uh, and they weigh generally less than two pounds. They're very light. Uh, two pounds is actually a very big barn owl. So they're mostly feathers. Long way from human looking. Alien? Is it an alien? I mean, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be. That's one of those things where you can kind of, you know, if you're going to say something from another planet, I mean, everything's up for grabs. Uh, is it a Thunderbird? Well, I, at first I didn't know what a Thunderbird was. So that came up in one of the witnesses, witness sightings. I forgot. It's, it's an American Indian legend uh, is the Thunderbird. And there is American Indian legends from this area surrounding Point Pleasant that do have tales of these giant birds. Uh, they can big enough to swoop down and carry a man. In depictions and representative artifacts, the images do resemble Mothman. That's true. I guess this thing's been out in the woods for hundreds of years. Uh, most legends suggest that Mothman's, uh, uh, or the Thunderbirds, excuse me, do have the ability to, to shapeshift into human form. Uh, they're believed to watch happenings in human life. According to the Algonquin legend, Thunderbirds are the ancestors of the human race and are the protect, uh, protectors of humans. I, I mean, I guess. You know, uh, it could be, you know, Mothman could be Thunderbird in the sense that Mothman could be a fucking, you know, unicorn, leprechaun or anything else that we don't know exists. Toxic mutant. That's my favorite theory, uh, that Mothman is a a product of this, uh, you know, munitions kind of dump. The the chemicals, the chemicals stored out in that TNT area. You know, did they create some kind of monster? Uh, if, If you listen to the Chernobyl suck, you learn that unfortunately the forests and streams around that nuclear meltdown site uh, aren't full of, of of wolf men or people who who can start fires with their minds or three-headed bears or alligator people or winged snakes or anything cool at all. Pretty certain that giant mutant uh, creatures, especially cool ones, rising from toxic waste is only the stuff of comic book legend and not real life. So, no, I don't think that's p- even possible. Uh, there's some who think, you know, as we found that the Mothman's an angel. Uh, I, I guess. Weird, very uh, not helpful angel. Uh, some think it's a demon. If it's a demon, it's not a very terrorizing demon. I mean, it didn't actually hurt anybody. Some people think a strange, unidentified flying machine, like some kind of, uh, you know, experimental government flying machine. That, that to me is the dumbest theory, probably. Like if they had a Mothman suit back in 1966, why don't they have way more advanced flying suits now that we know about? You know, technology is advancing at an exponential rate ever since then. Uh, and interesting, uh, I, I think actually maybe the most credible, promising theory I did come across in my research that I haven't brought up yet is that Mothman was actually a feral Polish person living in West Virginia uh, in the wilderness there. I, I, I know I said that I don't believe that toxic waste can create a monster, but very little studies have been done regarding uh, Polish people and toxic waste, uh, the, the, the mixture of those two. Uh, the few studies that have been done do confirm that Polish people are not smart enough to know better than to eat toxic waste. Uh, and because they've lived on sausages and sauerkraut and stuff like that for so many years, they're, they're actually capable of living on about, just about any substance, including toxic waste. So, you know, uh, what's some Polish dude living out there in the TNT area, eating nothing but chemicals, whatever birds and owls and rats and feces he could get a hold of for years? I mean, it's, it's possible. I would, I would maybe even see it probable. You know, Point Pleasant had a large influx of Polish settlers in the 1820s and 1830s. They didn't stay in town long. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to do basic jobs like serve whiskey at bars without throwing in people's faces and fighting them. And, you know, they, they couldn't figure out how to put clothes on. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to not grunt. And they just kept doing Typical Polish stuff that infuriated other locals, like fucking them in the middle street or, you know, uh, shitting in the aisles of various businesses, eating people's pets, scaring kids on Halloween by by refusing to dress up and not look like monsters for at least one day, lighting their farts on fire, that kind of Polish stuff. And so they were kind of pushed out into the nearby woods where they would just eat dirt and uh, and their own shit and, and toxic waste and have sex with their families, you know, for, for uh, you know, over 100 years before the Mothman legend showed up. So... 
what kind of creature does that create? You know, I would I would ask my Polish wife, but she'll she'd probably just snarl and and try to bite like normal, and then I'd have to get a st- stick and you know and kind of poke her back into the cage. And I'm I'm tired of having to do that. And everyone knows that I'm kidding about the Polish stuff, right? Hopefully, one new listener is like, Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so final thoughts. What? Uh, who knows what Mothman is, man? It's an interesting tale, if nothing else. I, I like folklore. Uh, might be a big hoax. If it is, I will say it's one that numerous people from different families and different towns in the same area all seem to believe to this day based on the documentary footage I've seen. I find that fascinating, if nothing else, where what if this, you know, this one group of people did see, like, let's say a bird and worked themselves up, That those four people – those two young couples, what if they saw a bird, worked themselves up, the story got into the paper, influenced other people's imaginations, and then it just took on this life of its own, hysteria took over, and people started seeing what they wanted to see. Uh, you know, that, that's that's to me is very possible. Um, I don't think it's a harbinger of doom, right? It was really bad at sending a, sending a warning if, that, if that's what it was. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe there really was some fucking humanoid. Who knows? Might be a sad story if that's true. What if there was some creature from another planet, another galaxy or dimension out there alone, stranded, right? Well, what was it doing out there? How did it get there? What did it think of those who, who it saw, you know? Uh, where is it now? Can you imagine if you ended up stranded like in another realm or some other world somehow? Creatures just as strange to you as, as, as you are to them, trying to get a good look at you, trying to make contact with you, capture you, maybe hurt, you know, or, or kill you. That's terrible. You know, if that's the truth, it seems that Mothman did what I don't think I'd be able to, to do on some other world. You know, he got away. If he was a traveler from another land, I hope he made it back home to his moth wife and his moth kids. Hope, he, hope he's telling the story of all the crazy shit he saw to his moth buddies to this day. Would they believe him any more than we believe those who may have saw him? I don't know. Well, that's all I got. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, uh, let's, let's, let's revisit the, the most important points. I'll give one new piece of new information right now with today's Top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, while later supposed sightings would come in from supposed Mothman witnesses like Kenneth, I forgot to mention a winged monster hanging out in the sky above us for a solid minute to the four men I was working outdoors with at the time, Duncan. Uh, The legend really got going on November 16th, 1966, when an article was printed in the local paper about two young Point Pleasant couples claiming to see Mothman the night before, telling local police a winged humanoid chased their car as they drove back into town and was waiting for them by the side of the highway when they went back to make sure what they saw was not, in fact, a bird. Number two, Mothman is most consistently described as a bipedal winged avian humanoid. His coloration varies from black, gray, to even brown or white, although it is usually the darker shades. He is often reported to be about seven feet tall with a wingspan of about 10 feet, plus the ability to fly over 100 miles an hour. Sometimes he's described as not having a head with the two huge red eyes set in his chest. These eyes are reported to be glowing or at least reflective. Next to the wings, the intense glowing or at least reflective uh, red eyes of Mothman seem to be the creature's most consistently uh, described physical feature. Number three. The vast majority of Mothman sightings occurred between mid-November 1966 and December 15, 1967, when the Silver Bridge that rose above the Ohio River and connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Galapolis, Ohio, collapsed and took the lives of 46 people. Ever since, many Mothman believers believe that Mothman tried to warn people about that collapse. Number four, I believe in the possibility of Mothman being real more than I believe in the collective credibility of the entire cast of Destination America's Mountain Monsters. Unless your last name is Finn, I think it's super weird to go by the name of Huckleberry. Number five, new info. It seems that if Mothman is indeed real, he may have moved to Chicago recently. 
There were 55 reported Chicago area sightings of a flying humanoid in just 2017 alone. Accounts have varied regarding what this creature looked like, ranging from a large black bat-like being with glowing red eyes to a big owl or something that resembled a gothic gargoyle or a mothman. Most eyewitnesses spotted the being in flight, but some particularly disturbing reports detailed it dropping onto hoods of cars, peering in through windows, and swooping down at bystanders. One Chicagoan who claims to have seen the Chicago Mothman is John Amatrano, who was working a Friday shift at security for Chicago's popular Logan Square Hangout the Owl during the summer of 2017 when he went outside and saw something odd. He told Vice, I saw a plane flying, but also something moving really un- moving awkwardly under it. It didn't look like a bat so much as what were illustrations of pterodactyls look like with the slenderness of its head and its wing shape. I know what birds and what bats look like. This thing didn't have any feathers or fur, and it didn't fly like anything I've ever seen. Amatrano added that the thing he saw, which according to him had muscular legs, a jutting tailbone, and a human-like shape, flew in a strange swooping motion, undulating up and down. After it flew away, he retrieved his phone from charging in the bar, texted his girlfriend and close friends what had happened. I remember thinking, this was the worst time in the world to have my phone charging. Damn it. Why is it always those situations? Why can't these things ever appear in front of someone who has a fully charged phone like most of us do and a camera ready to go like most of us do? Mothman, if you're out there, give us a decent photo for once. It would make a fantastic update to this suck. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Mothman has been sucked. I enjoyed taking a little uh, stroll down uh, to uh, Cryptozoologicalville for that one. Love me some folklore. Love me some some paranormal, if that's what it is. Uh, you know, whether I believe or not, I still am entertained by these stories. It's already a weird world. Maybe, maybe who knows, man? Maybe Mossman's out there making it a little weirder. Mossman burning out of fuel in the woods alone. And I think it's going to be a long, long time for Mossman takes a photo we can find. He's not a bird and he's not an owl. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, he's a mouse man, mouse man, burning out of fuel in Chicago alone. What do my neighbors think of that? Huh? I hope they liked it. I hope they liked it. Uh, have you joined the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group yet? Have you? There's over 6,000 time suckers in the private Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. Over 1,200 Discord members now. Link to the Discord chat room, message and app right on the Time Suck app. Uh, links to the private Facebook group and to the Discord channel in today's episode description. A lot of good meat sacks, doing a lot of good stuff in there. Next week, the Space Lizards have spoken. They have voted in another fantastic topic, the bubonic plague. The Black Plague, the Black Death. Uh, Black Death was a devastating global epidemic that struck Europe and Asia in the mid-1300s. The plague arrived in Europe thanks to Mongol soldiers literally catapulting plague-infected bodies over the walls of the Black Sea city of Kaffa in 1346. Yep, that was an intense uh, intense day for those people, seeing some, some soldiers getting flung over the walls. Over the next five years, the Black Death would kill more than 25 million people in Europe, something many, many more than that, possibly well over a third of the entire continent's population and millions of others across the globe. Uh, it's been called by historians the greatest catastrophe ever. Blood and pus seeping out of strange swellings, a host of other horrible symptoms, fever, chills, vomiting, diarrhea, terrible aches and pains, and then in short order, sometimes very short order, death. The plague was terrifyingly efficient, and 14th century humans had no idea 
no idea what the hell was causing it. People who were perfectly healthy when they went to bed one night could be dead by morning. Uh, the black death, we shall sucketh it nexteth weaketh. Some greatest historyeth and the greatest excuseth to talk about it, insaneeth, medievalist, doctorith, yeseth. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Now let's check in once again with the cult of the curious in today's Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Kick things off with an interesting Ed Kemper update from Time Sucker Tyson Rothrock. Hello, Master Sucker. My name is Tyson Rothrock, planning on being a spacer within the next few weeks. I'm writing in after listening to the sick fuck Ed Kemper. (laughs) After learning he was caught in my hometown of Pueblo, Colorado, it blows my mind that he makes a long list of serial killers caught in my hometown. Leo J. Romero of Pueblo was linked to three killings during a 27-year span. He was sentenced to 10 years to life in prison for the 1955 slaying of John uh, Mentasis in Pueblo. While in treatment at the Colorado State Hospital in 1969, he stabbed and killed fellow patient Gilbert Romero. Leo Romero, uh, no relation to him. Leo Romero escaped from the state hospital in 1972, stabbed to death Verenia Martinez of Pueblo. Carl Taylor, a Texas drifter whose family was linked to a murderous cross-country crime spree, was prosecuted in Pueblo in 1974 after heavy publicity tainted the jury pool in Denver. He pled guilty to the 1971 killing of a young waitress in Lakewood. He admitted roles in 20 murders in six other states. John Edward Robinson Sr. was linked to the deaths of 51-year-old Sheila Dale Faith and her wheelchair-bound daughter, 21, my God, both of Pueblo. The Faith disappeared after a few months or a few months after they moved to Pueblo from Fullerton, California in 1994. The bodies were found in June 2000 out inside a storage locker that Robinson rented in Raymore. Just a side note, the city is a shithole where crime is inevitable, uh, but just thought it was weird all of them are caught in one town. Keep on sucking and doing great things. Tyson, oh, man, wow. Thank you, Tyson. A lot of darkness. A lot of darkness for a city of roughly 110,000 people. Never been to Pueblo. Uh, been all over the country, every state. I have yet to make it to Pueblo, Colorado, though. Uh, not giving me a lot of good reasons to visit. Random trivia, Pueblo is one of the largest steel-producing cities in the nation. Uh, also, Bat Masterson, one of the gunslingers in the Doc Holiday suck, uh, was once sheriff of Pueblo. And David Packard, the co-founder of Hewlett-Packard, uh, computers the man dubbed the father of Silicon Valley, born and raised, he graduated high school in Pueblo. So some good stuff. Some good stuff in Pueblo. Keep on sucking, Tyson. Uh, Made-up mush-mouth word definition coming in from time sucker Jeff Asser. Jeff writes... Hail Master Succorus. Here is the definition of decapitated. Oh, no. Here's the definition. That's right, because I, I messed up that word. Here's the definition of decapa, decapicated. Decapicated. Adjective. To forcefully remove a person's cap from their head and throw it down upon the ground, followed by stomping on it furiously while taunting the person from which it was removed. Decapicated. Pooty. Decapicated. Decapicated juju. While yelling, put that in your lunchbox, Shirley. Another weirdly funny case of Mushmouth. Hope this gives you a laugh. It did. Hail Nimrod, Jeff Asser. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff I messed up today. I had that. I can't believe I was, I, yeah, I guess apparently needed to clean my notes up a little better. And I went over this one so many more times than so many other sucks. Uh, man, Mothman was, I, I will say just really quick, was tricky because the dates listed for the same events are all over the place on the web. You know, when you get into like folklore, paranormal, I'm like, yeah, but I want the correct thing. But I don't know if there is a correct thing sometimes, you know, and man, like you read 10 articles about Mothman and roughly about the same events. And sometimes it's very different tellings. Anyway, ah, fantastic Area 51 suck update coming in from Shari. 
Um, Shari Hardinger. Shari writes, Dear Master Sucker, I recently discovered Time Suck and I'm enjoying it very much. I think people are too hard on you for your mispronunciation. I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind, but thank you. I'm still trying to catch up, so I hope no one has already updated this. I just finished the Area 51 Suck. I learned some interesting or wackadoodle info from a book I listened to while I was still a believer. Ironically, this book killed my belief. It's called Area 51 by Annie Jacobson. She told me a lot of the info you did regarding the secret projects. She claimed to have interviewed one of the top scientists that worked at Area 51, anonymously, of course. The big twist in the end was revealed to be about the Roswell incident. Apparently, Stalin had heard about the panic caused by the War of the Worlds broadcast, and he, which happened way earlier, by the way, and he wanted to create another panic he could benefit from. So he made a... <laughs> I love it. So he made a flying saucer that crashed on purpose. The pilots of this UFO were children he had altered with sadistic plastic surgery to look like aliens. Boom. Mind blown. Seems like a bunch of made up bullshit to me, but what do I know? Thanks to the podcast, I clean houses for a living and it makes my painfully dull job much more fun. And the Spartacus suck. You kept saying dead dude bridge and it made me laugh way more than it should have. My husband bought us tickets to see you live for my birthday next month in Salt, next month in Salt Lake City. Can't wait. Uh, Shari Hardinger. And then you said, I like how you added like, sorry with an H. If you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to say your name. Uh, I love it. Thanks, Shari. Not crazy at all. Just putting a, you know, uh, you know, Stalin probably happened, right? He just put surgically altered kids in an experimental aircraft, unlike anything that had ever flown in the forties. And then he just crashed in the New Mexico desert just to kind of confuse us, right? Instead of, I don't know, using that experimental aircraft technology to just, you know, take over the world. Um, you know, he was just a, a, a twisted a weird evil genius who had nothing better to do than just mind fuck Americans. Yeah, I love it. I love it when they print things like that as part of me finds it hilarious. They print things like that um, because it's so over the top. But then I'm also terrified when I read reviews of books like that, uh, of people saying like, yeah, yeah, finally, I get it. All the dots are connected now. Like that actually makes sense to a lot of people. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Salt Lake City. Those shows are going to be so much fun. Love performing there. A funny message from Megan Wolber sent in. I'd like to share about how important a dark sense of humor is to us suckers. She writes, Dear Dan, I'd like to tell you a story. I recently moved from Ohio to Florida to take a job with the new sheriff's office. And thanks for uh, keeping us safe, by the way. Uh, this office is very formal and by the book, so I've been, you know, containing my weirder side. My, my new lieutenant was telling a story the other day. He's originally from Buffalo, New York. He had a sister and brother-in-law still there. Some context, the whole family hated this dude. Total tool bag, I guess. Sometime, uh, or one time, they were jogging in a snowstorm, went across the street, and were hit by a car due to the poor visibility. The brother-in-law was killed, and the sister was seriously injured. Cue absolute silence and horror in the room. Then he said something along the lines of, uh, yeah, the, 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 the lieutenant said, they had it coming. Who runs in a snowstorm? <laughs> and that is how I discovered my lieutenant has a beautiful sense of humor, and I'm going to be all right there. You're welcome, Space Lizard Megan Wilbur. Oh, man, I feel you. I feel you. When I like, uh, would work uh, for various shows in the past, at first, you're feeling people out, and you're just waiting for somebody to say something dark when you have a sense of humor like I do. Like, come on, open that door. And then it's so, mo so much more relaxed after it happens. Because, oh, yeah, when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who, who can't, like, make a cat head on sticks joke, you know, like jokes like we did in the Ed Kemper suck. Ah, just so tense and uptight. All right, now some kick-ass uh, uh, news coming our way from Meat Sack Supreme Ian Young, who says, Wow, Dan, way, way to fail. I recently listened to Time Suck Sucks itself. I can't believe I missed this one before, but I'm glad I caught it the second time around. I don't know how to properly articulate my feelings of pride and joy. To hear about how many failures you had, 
or how, to hear about how many failures you had to suffer through before finally succeeding has inspired me to be willing to fail. I'm normally very reserved, and I try to carefully calculate my every move in an attempt to avoid failure in any situation. Now I've started to take this life out of the box and play with it a little bit approach. This new approach landed me a new gig, making almost double what I made last year. I'm working for one of the largest media companies in the world, finally pushing the boundaries of my comfort zone. I have you to thank for that push. Thank you for enduring all the shit this world has thrown at you in order to get where you are now. Keep on sucking. Your loyal space lizard, Ian Young. Uh, Hail Nimrod, you beautiful bastard, Ian. You know, and I don't, by the way, on those things, uh, I never want to come across like I feel like, oh man, you know, woe is me because I, I'm glad how uh, failures kind of shaped me. And I was always to have a roof over my head. So I always had like first world failures. I do think about that when we do historical stuff. You know, uh, I'm very hesitant to complain about about life in, in a real way, other than maybe an occasional frustration, you know, with a stranger being stupid or whatever. But as far as like, oh man, everything's terrible. I'm like, nah, uh, I don't leave in medieval Europe. You know, I'm not worried about getting my fucking head cut off. You know, I don't have disease isn't rampant and doctors aren't trying to saw my arm off or put leeches on me when something goes wrong. But yes, man, I'm, I'm so glad that inspired you. That makes me very, very happy. More inspiration flowing. Let's keep the inspiration train rolling with another wonderful uh, message from, from, from Time Suck Wizard Dustin uh, Kenoki. Dustin writes, Dear Master Sucklord, just want to say thanks. If it doesn't make it to the show, no big deal. Thank you for all you've done with Time Suck. Recently, I've realized that both me and my amazing girlfriend were both at a decent risk for diabetes and heart disease. So we started dieting and working out. I've done this in the past, but no luck. But being able to listen to your podcast helps while I'm at the gym. Also, the recent inspirational sucks you released uh, over the holidays were my main motivation. I want to let anyone in the group know, just do it. Put your mind to it and do it. I've lost 25 pounds since the first and feel best I have since junior high. Just wanted to say thanks. Couldn't have done it without you. Sorry for the long message. I wasn't long at all. Dustin Kenoki. Man, happy for you, dude. Hail Nimrod. Glad you're kicking ass and feeling good. Man, feeling good. That should be the most important part of a, of a diet or workout plan, quote, unquote, to me. I think if you do it for like just vanity reasons, I don't know uh, if it's going to hold. This is my own personal thoughts. But if you do it because, oh man, I feel better. I just feel better, feel healthier, able to accomplish more. Okay, finally, time sucker Joe Campbell closes things out today with some love for his lady. Dear Dan, Lindsay, Joe, and all other members of the Time Suck team, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for all the work you guys do. I'm so excited. I finally got to see you live at your Providence show and I brought my girlfriend of two years with me. She has been forced to listen to your podcast for a couple of months before I showed her your comedy to really try to show her uh, why you are the way you are, and it worked. She has gotten to the point where she stopped complaining the second she started hearing your voice when we were in the car together. When we were leaving the show, I asked her if she'd be more open to the podcast now. She immediately was open to listening to your Cleopatra suck because that's always interested her. I know you make it a thousand years today, but I would love it if you could just give a little shout out to my beautiful girlfriend, Kat. I just wanted her to know that no matter how hard things may get between work and life that are, and, our, and, our fut- and our new fur baby, Bo, she is tough enough to keep to get through it all with that perfect smile. I love you, Kat, and I hope we can continue to grow with each other through the next steps of our life. Sorry for the trailing email, but I just really wanted to reach out after all this time and let you know how thankful I am for putting out quality material each and every week. Please never stop being as crazy and fun to listen to as you are. I will forever appreciate the weird looks I get whenever someone hears you talking about those sweet sucking skills of yours. Keep on sucking. Uh, P.S. Uh, hearing your Here Come the Spoons bit probably made my 2019. It was the first stand-up bit I'd ever heard from you, and I was hooked right away. Thanks again for listening to my obnoxious scream and not tearing into me for being obnoxious. I remember that scream. Thanks again, your loyal suck servant, Joe Campbell. Joe, that was nice, man. That was very nice of you to send in. And Kat, 
Uh, I hope you're enjoying the suck. I hope you two can listen to it together and it just gives you fun stuff to talk about. That's my favorite part about it in the context of couples. I love talking about stuff more interesting than the weather or what happened in sports that week. Not that you can't also talk about that stuff, but I love having like, you fucking, do you believe in that moth, man? Do you believe it? Do you believe that lady in Point Pleasant? Do you think that stuff could happen? Do you believe in Chicago people are seeing or whatever? Leads you into a whole new conversation. It's just interesting and fun. Fun. That's why we're here. We're here for fun and to make my neighbors in the office building very, very scared. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Uh, that's today's show, Time Suckers. Hope you liked it. If you head out into the woods at night looking for a monster this week, for God's sake, bring a flashlight. And more importantly, if you see a monster flying overhead during the day when you're grave digging with some buddies, fucking say something and keep on sucking. Damn motherfucker! Oh, don't you don't scare my sister! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.